Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Bat Around, coming to you live from the Press Box Studios here in Baltimore, Maryland. It is a an overcast Saturday morning, a little chilly, but not too bad considering we are now in mid-November. I'm your host, Paul Valley. With me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Zach Goodman. The Bat Around is brought to you by the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas. Join us every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas. KZ will help you set your lineups and find deep sleepers that might still be on your waiver wire in order to help you win your matchups. It's all brought to you by CCBC, the Maryland Department of Transportation, and Glory Day. Grill. That's the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Watch at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Zach, how are you this morning? Not too bad, Paul. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm I'm a little stuffed up. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like a common theme for you. Like, this happens a lot. I no, heard, this no. was like two weeks ago. You were like, "Oh, I'm really." You said the same thing. I feel like so. No, that was like a month and a half. It ago. must be a winter thing for you. Is it? Is no. it like a? I don't know. It might be a. It might be. A I thing think it's a morning thing. Okay. For me, do you have like a sinus infection issue all the time? No, Is it, no. I, 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 oh, I never right. get sick. I never get sick. Like it actually upsets my wife oh, because. Really? I never get. I mean, she doesn't get. She doesn't want me to get sick. <laughs> I was gonna say she's like, but, "Oh man, Paul, why aren't you getting sick?" Like, you know, <laughs> not knock on wood. In my older years now, I don't get hangovers, mm-hmm. and I don't get sick. It's, okay. Yeah, so it's, uh, although it's I, do, I do feel a sneeze coming on. You, you might be like Captain America, Superman, one of these, if you are not, if you haven't gotten sick in your entire adult life. That sounds... No, that, I, I mean, look, that's 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 false. I, I, <laughs> I've, I've gotten I'm gonna sick. Say, I, mean, I think man. I got a 24-hour flu. Oh. In late 2014, mm-hmm. right around Christmas time. How do you remember, like the, the because exact... I get I get sick so <laughs> infrequently that when it happens, you just remember. I remember. Fair. Laura has never seen me sick. One time, it was actually right before COVID started. She got the flu, and she was sick for six days, like deathly ill, in my room. When I when I ha- when I lived with a roommate. Just in, just laying in my bed for six straight days, sick as anything, and I was there with her basically the entire time, except for when I went to work, and I got nothing. I got nothing from it. You're just built different, Paul. Yeah, yeah. well, you're <laughs> you're I, I was I had viral meningitis when I was six days old. Mm. Um, Shigella, when we were two, from a from a neighbor that never that was heard a, of that. It's not a thing. It's uh, it, in America anyway. We had a, an adopted neighbor, mm. um, and we were we w- lived off a well. And the water got tainted, and my sisters and I all got Shigella. So we were very sick as I, we were very sick as children, and thus because I was so sick as a child, I like to believe that my immune system is built up now that I don't get sick as an adult, which is an easy trade-off for me because I don't remember this stuff. You know what I mean? I just know what I was told. Anyway, this is not the Paul Valley um, illness history hour. <laughs> We do have some awards that we need to get into, or one award anyway. Cedric Mullins, he won a silver slugger in the American League for center field after having a 30-30 season in which he batted 291, 30 homers, 30 steals. Big season for Cedric Mullins and well-deserved award. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think Cedric, uh, you know, he, he really deserved everything he got, and I think that he really should have been in the running for more awards. I mean, I, I certainly think that he deserved to be in the running for Gold Glove. Um, but look, Silver Slugger is a is a really good uh, is a really good award to win, especially for a guy that again he was demoted in 2019 two times, went down to Double A, and really didn't perform in Double A, and then came back in 2020, did all right. 
And then in 2021, just kind of exploded. 30-30 season. Look, the guy deserves everything he got. A Silver Slugger is a really, really great award. And we don't see a lot of Orioles, especially in these rebuild years from 2018, you know, onwards, we haven't seen a lot of Orioles win major awards, specifically Silver Slugger. I don't believe we've seen since Mark Trumbo. You can correct me on that. But I don't, I, I don't think so. I believe Mark Trumbo in 2016 is the last Silver Slugger the Orioles won. So it's great to see Cedric do it, and especially a guy like Cedric. You look at Cedric, and he's what, 5'8, 5'9? 5'8, yeah. And then you look at you know his body type, and you, you would not predict this guy to win a Silver well, Slugger he ever. Just, he just has such a level quick, compact swing. He does. That he can drive the ball. He does. You know, and, and it's why Barry Bonds, and I'm not comparing Cedric Mullins to Barry Bonds. <laughs> oh, totally oh, the same oh, guy. Oh, okay. But it's why Barry Bonds said he could have weighed 130 pounds soaking wet and still hit more home runs than most people because his swing was so fast was. and so short to the ball. Yeah. And, and that's what Cedric Mullins has. Not mm-hmm. to the level that Bonds did, but he had one of the all-time greatest seasons in Orioles history. 30 homers, 30 no steals, 291 average. Uh, his on-base percentage was probably close to like 380. It was, just it was really high. I mean, his OPS was 878. I do remember that to a, yeah. to a degree. And then I know, obviously, you know, he, he had a pretty high slugging percentage considering all the home runs he hit. And, you know, yeah, his, I believe his slugging lot. percentage was over 900. Yeah, so look, I mean, um, he's a guy who... You know, he's the face of the Orioles franchise at the moment. So Adley Rutschman gets here. And to see him win a silver slugger, that's a great award for a guy who had a really great season. Well, and you mentioned there's not a lot of hardware being handed out to the Orioles no. um, these days. Um, a big-time snub, in my opinion, for AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, he's not even a finalist, Ryan Mountcastle. Led the American League, led all of rookies in both leagues in home runs, mm-hmm. second in RBIs, total bases, and extra base hits. And he's not a finalist. He's not a finalist. Randy Arosarena, Wander Franco, and Luis Garcia. Now, look, that's not to say that these guys aren't deserving. And, and Wander Franco got on base like a thousand straight games, right? So, so we, I, I understand those guys are deserving too. But Ryan Mountcastle was at the was at the top statistically in just about every single category, near the top, right? And that he doesn't get any kind of love. I cannot imagine that if the Orioles were a seventy win team, that he wouldn't be there. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just the Orioles as a whole, um, as a franchise. Maybe if Ryan Mountcastle was a Yankee, he'd be there. Actually, I'm sure if he no, was a Yankee, no he'd doubt. be there. No, there's no doubt. He'd probably win it if so, he was a Yankee. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to say that Ryan Mountcastle should win it over a guy like Luis Garcia. I really think Garcia is the guy who should win this. But I'm not saying that he should win it. But yeah, the fact say, that he's not a finalist, that he's not a top three. I, and, and, and Does defense really matter that much to them? Because the the biggest knock that you see in every write-up is he fell short defensively. Mm-hmm. Who, who cares? He plays first base. Yeah, well, that's I guess that's kind it's, of a, it's a an, drawback it's in an a way. Impor- it's an important position. No doubt. But I think he had, what, two errors all year? Yeah, I mean, he played, he played I, I think, better than the reasonable expectation um, yeah. uh, defensively. Uh, to me, to exclude a guy who led the league in rookie home runs is a bit odd. That's and a second bit, uh, in RBI's total base and yeah, extra base hits. Like, that, that's a monster season. That's a bit odd to me. You look at you know the other guys, and sure, Randy Rosarena, great season. Juan Franco, great season. Luis Garcia, great season. But you know, to, to exclude the guy who led the all rookies in home runs at 33, it's a little bit. It's a little bit odd. But again, and, there can only be three. There can only but, be three. But uh, Adolis Garcia, he got also know, he, he got he's a snub. Mm-hmm. He he was second in home runs mm-hmm. and led in RBIs, and he was really great defensively. Yeah. And and he's not he's not a finalist. And, yeah. and again, why Texas lost hundred games? And also the other thing is, and we've talked about this extensively, is that Randy Rosarena 
is the playoff hero from 2020. He won that award in October, last October. He, he won that award last October. Yeah, every, yeah, everyone expected him coming in. Everyone expected him to be in the, in the rookie of the year running. He had a good season. I wouldn't say he had a good as good of a season as Ryan Mountcastle. I'm not sure he did. He had a, he had a good season. He put up a lot of war. But again, keep in mind that war you know fa- factors in a lot of defense. And Ryan Mountcastle is a first baseman, so obviously he's not going to have you know quite the war that a guy like Randy Rosarena will. But Randy Rosarena won that award in October when people said he's going to come out next season and win that and win the American and, and, League Rookie of the Year. And don't get me wrong. He had a good season. He did. He did. Over he 20 did. homers, over 20 stolen bases. Randy Rosarena had a really good season. He is deserving. Uh, did he win? Is he, was he Rookie of the Year? Um, I, I don't know if they've made the selection I yet. I don't think they've made the selection yeah. yet, but I think he's... I, uh, he and Wander Franco are, in my opinion, are the favorites. I, I think it has to be Luis Garcia to me. I, yeah. I just think a, a guy like that who comes out and pitches for a playoff team and, and does what he did... I. Yeah, for me it has to be that. But again, you, you compare comparing a pitcher and a hitter is just so. tough. They should be two so, different awards. Yeah, it really is tough. It's so hard to compare a guy like Luis Garcia to uh, uh, Wander Franco, and I I do think Wander Franco is the more deserving of the two rays. Yeah. Now the other thing, and look, I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy. Uh oh, no, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> I'm 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 not. I'm not. Okay. And this is just to put it out there as part of the conversation. I'm not necessarily saying that I believe this, mm-hmm. but there are some that believe that because this award is voted on by the Baseball Writers Association of America and because these baseball writers have been outspoken about the Orioles tanking and about how they feel about what the Orioles are doing, that think that they were never going to vote for Ryan Mountcastle because of that fact. Now, look, Cedric Mullins won a silver slugger. They <laughs> vote on that, too. Cedric Mullins put up a season that you just that nobody could ignore. He was, an all, yeah. he was a starting center fielder in the All-Star game. You can't ignore that. So I can understand that. I can understand where people are coming from. I don't know if I buy it or not. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not saying this is why. But it's an interesting part of the conversation. I'm assuming Buster Olney is in the Baseball Writers Association of America. I don't see why he wouldn't be. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, he has to I, be. I don't think there would be any reason he wouldn't be. I don't buy this theory completely, but then again, there has been a lot of talk that you know Major League Baseball as a whole, uh, and this has been for years, and because of Peter Angelos, really because of him, doesn't like the Orioles. There's been a lot of that, and well, it's the, the and Masson I, dispute. The, and, right, the Masson dispute is a big reason for that, and I don't necessarily think it's untrue. It's one of those conspiracy theories that is a, is a theory, but also there's some there's some fact you know factual stuff behind it because of the Masson dispute. You know, it, Major League Baseball they do not like the Masson dispute. The Nationals do not like the Masson dispute, and there's a lot of other teams look at the Orioles and they see oh tanking, tanking, tanking. They don't want to win. They don't try. There's a lot of people around the league that do not like the Orioles, and I, I'm not going to say you're. I'm not going to say that theory is that far off. I yeah. really, I really wouldn't. Well, and here's the thing: there, I understand why they why they don't like the Orioles. I mm-hmm. love the Orioles because it's ingrained in me, sure. right? But if I were on the outside looking, or, or if I was a casual fan, like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of casual fans mm-hmm. in Baltimore, and I saw them lose 115 games, and I saw them lose 108 games, and then I saw them go out and lose 110 games in. The, in three straight full seasons, mm-hmm. exclu- excluding the 35-loss, 60-game season, if I saw that as a casual fan and then see that they're not spending money and that they're still approaching free agency and the, and the offseason cheaply, uh, I'd be I'd be upset. I'd be upset. Me, I, I understand the bigger picture. And right. I think that, and you and I both understand the bigger picture, and I think that we can see the forest for the trees and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, to, to use as many cliches as possible here. Um and we know that eventually, in the next few years, the Orioles are going to be the talk of baseball. 
we we yeah. know that they're going to have one of the best young players, a couple of the best young players on the team. They're going to have still a top farm system and all this young talent that's going to lead them into the next wave of competitive baseball. And they and they will. There's not a doubt in my mind they will be the talk of baseball at some point, And people are just going to forget how they got there. Yeah, but I also I, while I agree with that, I think there's also a a reasonable thought about how the Orioles will be treated in the media. I still think there could be some negativity and you know maybe some cynicism towards the Orioles in the media because that's what the Orioles are as a franchise. And, and the Angelos brothers, I'm assuming, will still be running the team at the time and owning the team at the time. And I think as long as the Angeloses are involved with the Orioles, there will be some, I guess, animosity from the league towards the Orioles. That's my, that would be my, my thought. And, and I'm not saying the Orioles won't be the talk of the town because they're winning 100 games and Adley Rutschman's winning MVP and Gold Glove and Silver Slugger and, you know, God knows what else. But and Cy Young screw it to Cy, team everything. I mean, you never know. I mean, Stevie Wilkerson almost won a Cy Young, so you never know. <laughs> that is um, not true. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> very false. But, uh, I, as long as the Angelus brothers are in control of this team, I'm not See, sure. I'm not, I'm not sure I buy that. You I'm, I'm, I, not, I'm mm, not sure okay. I buy that because I think winning cures all. And I think that okay. if the Orioles are competitive and they're spending money, they don't really have anything else that they can say. See, here's the thing. I, I think there's a difference between spending money and spending Yankees money. You know what I'm saying? I, Nobody I, can do that. The, no, the, sure, the Yankees, sure. The Yankees, the Cubs, and the Dodgers – are really the, even Boston doesn't do that anymore. Those are really the only teams that can go out there, and mm-hmm. and the Angels. Those are really the only teams that can go out there and do that. So spending that kind of money, if that's what the baseball writers and the people that 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 are at the top of this industry want from the Orioles, then you're going to be pissed off at this team forever. Well, I wouldn't be shocked, would you? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, they, they're never going to be that team. Yeah. And okay. I agree. It's it's kind of like the Lamar Jackson effect. Mm-hmm. Where people, somebody asked me to explain why why Lamar Jackson, why we stand up for him so much because he's held to a different standard mm-hmm. than everybody else. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson has accomplished more than both of those guys combined, mm-hmm. but they're lauded and he's put down. Oh, he can't throw. He can't win in the playoffs until this year. He can't come back. Yeah, uh, it's it's that effect that. You're held to a different standard than your contemporaries. Oh, I agree. I, I think that's exactly what it is. I think the Orioles will always kind of be held to that different standard because, again, I think one of the big reasons for it is Baltimore. Baltimore, just it, it, for whatever reason, the media kind of has a negative perception of it for no reason at all. And I think that the Orioles will get that kind of animosity from the media because of that. Well, and I, I, I don't know if that will change. It, it's crazy, man, because I don't... I don't believe that overall the media is against Baltimore. A lot of people, not, a lot not. of people love coming to Baltimore to do games. A, a, mm-hmm. a lot of them do. Yeah, I think it's the old heads and a lot of <laughs> a lot of these guys. Yeah, Tim Kirchner, Buster Olney, Ken Rosenthal. Uh, these guys all worked for the for the Baltimore Sun. You're right. At one point, and covered the Orioles. Yeah, and they remember. And, and Tim Kirchner straight up said this. We remember when the Orioles were really good, mm-hmm. and they were one of the top teams in the league. Yeah, and they're so far away from that, and they haven't been that for the majority of the last forty years that it upsets them, and that's why they have this animosity towards his team and towards yeah. Angelos because he's led them, th- th- right or wrong, they've been led in that direction under that under this ownership. And yeah. that's why they feel that way. I don't think it's just, oh, we hate Baltimore, we hate the city, we hate the town. I think it's they hate what this team has become under this ownership group. And, and, and honestly, it's up to the Angelos brothers or whoever they sell the team to, if you believe they're going to sell the team, and I think they might. It's up to them to 
right the ship and change the narrative. Yeah. And right now, that narrative is getting even worse because of how they're going about their business. But again, like I said, winning cures all. When this team starts to win again, yeah. people will be more enamored with this team. I mean, we've talked about it over and over, but look at how the writers these days completely ignore what happened in 2012, 2011, 2010 with the Astros. They went through this process. They lost hundred, you know, they lost hundreds of games in that span. Well, the Astros played in a World Series in 2005. And they did, yeah. But you know and, what I mean? And, sure, the Orioles have not had I mean, obviously the Astros are a very very storied franchise. Not that the Orioles aren't, but the Astros had a <coughs> lot of lot, you know, a lot of success in places and and years that the Orioles didn't. I get that. That's obviously true. However, I I think we can't ignore the drastically awful rebuild that the Astros went through, but we do now because, like you said, winning cures all. So I, I agree with you there. I think that's I think that's a very very true statement. So we have some other stuff that we need to talk to talk about real quick before we get Stan on um, the CBA. This is a big deal. Yeah, and you you sent me a text message a couple of weeks ago. What are we going to do if there's a work stoppage in baseball regarding yeah. the show? Because what's there going to be to talk about? It's the same thing every week, and I don't know. That, well, that's a bridge that we'll cross when we get to it. Um, we're about two and a half weeks from the expiration of the current CBA, which many deem to be an inevitable work stoppage, uh, which is looking yeah. like it's more and more like it's going to be an owner's lockout. Mm-hmm. And we have Evan Drellich, who's a senior writer for The Athletic about the business of baseball. He's written, yeah. written several articles on the, on the CBA. Um, he's going to be coming on later today around 11.45 to talk about this in depth with us. Um, there's a lot of sticking points right here. Both sides of exchange proposals, the most recently coming from the MLBPA at the end of October, uh, that cover things like new arbitration rules, earlier free agency, and new draft rules. The new draft rules that they're exchanging, the draft is going to change. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's going to change in 2022, hopefully not till 2023. Yeah, yeah. Right? I don't know how you can change it at this point after they just play a season. I think you need I, to change it after the first full season in the new CBA. But what <clears throat> the union said that they, their proposal, and I may have this flip-flopped, said one side said, we don't want a team to pick, consec- to pick in the top five in consecutive years. The other side said, we don't want a team to pick in the, um, in the top five more than two years in a row. Either way... Both te- both sides of this of this uh, this new deal want the draft to change to eliminate tanking. One of the only things they agree on. Yeah, one of the only things because so, they don't agree on much. Yeah, so this is this is something that's going to happen. Uh, does this change your perspective of what the Orioles are doing? No, because I think this is coming at the tail end of the rebuild. Um, I think this is coming at a time that's almost perfect for the Orioles in a way because. If this had been changed, you know, in, in 2019 or 2018 or wherever it was, they might not have Adley Rutschman right now. So, you know, I, I think that the Orioles are, in, are well along their way of acquiring the guys they need to acquire. And sure, they have the number one overall pick this year, most likely. And they have, you know, they're probably going to have another decently high draft pick in 2022 uh, or 2023 draft, I guess it would be at that point. Um, or no, it'd still be the 2022 draft. But um, you're, you're looking at, uh, no, it would be the twenty. It would be twenty twenty three. Yeah, my years are getting kind of mixed up in my head. When That's you right, when you jump ahead a year with the whole anyway, but math, uh, math, yeah, exactly. But look, 
the Orioles have already benefited from having high picks. If they do go to something like a lottery, if that is what happens, and the Orioles are really, really bad in 2022 and have a high pick in 2023, and it's, it goes into the lottery, and instead of getting number one, they get number three, number four. Not the biggest deal in the world. I don't know that it's even going to be a lottery, though, because if what they're saying is you can't pick in the top five, then the Orioles are, have, to pick, well, yeah. have to pick between six and ten. And Maybe that, it's a lottery and, for that. And that would be concerning. That would yeah. be concerning. If it's from one to three or four, I don't really care. But if it's from, you know, if it gets changed from one to six to ten, that's more of a concern for me. That's something that's more of a drastic change. And I think that the Orioles have already benefited from the rules and the, the way they have been. So I'm a little bit worried about it. But then again, we are at the tail end of this rebuild. So I don't think it's going to be a huge effect on what they're trying to do. Right, we got to get Stan on the line here. So Zach's going to do that for us. But not, but here's the thing: if if they change, the Orioles got will have gotten. Two number one overall draft picks, a number five overall draft pick, and a number two overall draft pick four years in a row. Uh, look, you, you can't be upset about that. I mean, as a fan, you can't be upset about that if, the, if they now change the rules after the fact. Uh, the way I look at it, I, what, what I wonder is what I wonder is if it will change how the Orioles do business moving forward with this rebuild if they know, hey, look, it's obvious that both sides are pulling for this to not be a thing anymore. So maybe we mm-hmm. start to emphasize winning a little bit more this year yeah. because we know that we're not going to get a top five pick next year. I, I think there's a good chance that this expedites things a little bit, and I think that's a good thing. Um, I, I think that's a good thing for the Orioles, and I think that's a good thing for baseball because I think the Orioles need to be back as soon as possible. Um, so you know, expediting the rebuild through new, uh, you know, new restrictions, new rules, whatever you want to call it, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And I think a salary floor, which we talked about, what, two weeks ago now, we talked about a salary floor being a, uh, you know, a potential implication of the new CBA. I think that combined with you know, a possible draft change to make tanking a more uh, a scary thing to do, I think that may be a good thing. Yeah, well, and let's get Stan on the line for this one. Uh, first and foremost, Stan, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Stan, we're having um, Evan Drellich on the program a little bit later. He's a senior writer for The Athletic covering the business of sure. baseball. And we're going to talk about the collective bargaining agreement. And what Zach and I are talking about right now is that it seems like, from the articles I've read, it seems like both sides of this of this argument are in agreement that they don't want to see teams picking in the top five either consecutive years or more than two consecutive years because they want to eliminate tanking. Uh, with with that in mind, um, do you see the Orioles, if that's what, what comes to pass, do you see the Orioles operating in the same way that they have been for the last three to four years, uh, given that they aren't going to be given the same prize, if you will, for being the worst team in baseball? Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I don't think the, the goal is to, you know, is to, for a team is to tank like an unspecified number of years in a row. Right. And when you look and when you look at um uh, Michael Elias's his draft history, he he's never he's never sort of gone after the best player available. He's really into this uh you know dra- drafting under slot and then getting somebody over slot, you know, so he's he's not always he did with Rutschman. I think he took the best player available, who who they deemed the best player available, because that was sort of his starting point. But if you look at what he's done since, I, I don't think he's he's his tanking methodology, if you want to call it, there is equatable to what they're trying to avoid teams doing. 
No, I, I, and that's a that's an excellent point, Sam. Because you're right, they yeah. they haven't taken the best player available. They've taken the player that they think they can go under slot with that also meets their needs. So it's that's an excellent and fair point there. Um, this this CBA, we haven't heard much about it, Stan, uh, from from either side. Things leak. Well, here, because things... it sounds like it sounds like they're spitballing ideas at this point. Yeah. Which you know, I mean, you know, they're they're sort of. They're early in the fight, and uh, that's my problem with it is they're early in their fight, and they're, like, testing each other out and probing a little to see what you'll go for. I mean, this idea that they threw out about, you know, uh, you know the, um, the, the using war to determine what, what salaries were going to be like, you know, once you got to arbitration eligible, there would be no arbitration. They would just determine your salary. I mean, that came out of nowhere. Literally you know? out of nowhere. I yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> I like Zach, it. Zach and I are going to talk about that a little bit later yeah. when Zach sounds off. But I, I'm I'm not a fan of it, and, I, and I'll explain. I like it. Why? But you're right, Stan. They're 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 spitballing things here and just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, this is kind of typical, though, for the for for new CBAs. Usually, these things really don't get ironed out. Until the last seventy-two hours, correct? Yes, yes, and no. You know, uh, I just think you know, with all that they have to accomplish, I think they should be further along. Uh, you know, at a, at the time the agreement is expiring, I think I I think it's just a bad look uh, if if either side does something like a lockout or calls it a strike or something like that as soon as the uh you know we pass the date of the collective bargaining agreement you know i think there should be a more honest effort to to be moving the ball along at this point well yeah and uh, and evan drellich in one of his articles actually uh, quoted somebody as saying that a lockout and a strike are being used as weapons here to kind of force the hand of the other team to be uh, of the other side to say hey co- agree to my terms or i'm not going to i'm not going to let you into our building i'm not going to let you work out and right. do stuff like this or i'm not going to go on the field for you it's well more- they are they are tools but these guys have had a long time look they've got a a long-term history now of labor peace uh for 26 years i think it's been 1995 was the last work stoppage yeah but they haven't had the they haven't had the same people in place that embraced that and saw the need for it and now um the game is in is in kind of a a volatile state right now and it's not the right time given the pandemic and getting just getting over the pandemic and the state of attendance right now you know um it's just not the right time to be sort of pussyfooting around about this yeah i i i think that they would be that it would be an awful look if any uh, yeah. if any games were missed because of this. That's, and I think baseball and the Players Association know that. I think they want to get something worked out. Um, one of the things I don't know, think it's just a question of how many games you miss. I think it's a question of fans really like that sort of uh, circadian rhythm of spring training when it's mm-hmm. starting, and and knowing that um, you know is important to them. And yeah. It's sort of it's like a warm embrace, and if you do anything to throw off that rhythm, it's you're gonna have fans upset. 
Oh, absolutely. I think no matter what happens, fans are going to be upset until this thing gets resolved. Yeah. One of the one of the sticking points, and we talked about this a, a number of times on this show, Stan, is the salary floor proposal. And when it first happened back in August, I was like, there's no way that this thing is going to happen. But reading the verbiage in, in um, these arguments and, and seeing what's being proposed, I'm becoming more and more um, of the mindset that I do believe a salary a salary floor w- uh, can and possibly even will happen. How do you feel about that with everything that's been going coming to light the last few weeks? Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I think the I think there's the the jump to a hundred million the first year is probably a little a little intimidating to some of these teams that. Uh, I'm not even going to use the word tanking that are sort of in the midst of their rebuilds or have mm-hmm. reason to want to have some flexibility. But I think, I think the number may be like 85 or 80, you know, that's, that's where I see it starting. And that's once you create that, that precedent, then you can slowly move it and then say, well, within three years, we'll have it at a hundred million or something like that. And I think that that would be good for the game at this point. I think it would be good for the game, too. Now, here's my question. Is it something that's implemented immediately? Like, are, are the the new arbitration rules and the new draft rules, if they if they come to pass, and um, this this new thing with the salary floor, is that something that's is it, implemented immediately, or is it implemented after the first full season under the new collective bargaining agreement, in your mind? Uh, I think that, that that's a real good question. Some of that's going to be timing. Right. Um, you know, the longer the longer MLB sort of pussyfoots around and spitballs rather than gets down to brass tacks, they they buy another year of uh, doing business as usual. And so, my gut is that they'll they'll extend that as long as possible. Stan, you, you know, look look what we really have here is the top the top what seven eight percent of the players in Major League Baseball. They really can't have much gripe about the way the, the game is going right now, you know, the financial state of the game. But what's happened is, while baseball has continued to preserve the length of time that they have to hold on to players, they've shrunk the, they've shrunk the remaining time left for players once they get to free agency to make big dollars. Uh, and that's, that's not going to affect the greatest players in the game. So what you have is this, they've turned 90% of the players in baseball to be actors. You know, and if you're talking about the movie business, they're trying to keep a, a, a huge population of B and C actors while they're always going to pay the Spencer Tracy's and the Clark Gable's and the Tom Cruises and the Burt Reynolds, they're, they're always going to make their big money. They've just widened the, the middle and upper middle lower class of players, you know. And when you, have a, when you have careers, all those names I mentioned as movie stars, they had 30 and 40 year careers. Baseball players have, you know, the, the majority of baseball players that make it to the major leagues probably have two and a half to four year careers, yeah. you know, and they've been, sh- they've been cut short at the beginning of their careers because they don't own themselves. The teams own them. Um, and it's, it's been unfair to those players. So what, 
you have at the end of the day, you know, when you when you up the floor, you're going to force teams to pay more money to those those players. Stan, when you that's really at, what's at the heart of this, if you if you ask me. When you look at that salary floor, what is the to you the first move the Orioles would make? What is the the defining move to get them? You know, because they, obviously they're going to have to add a lot of payroll. Probably, right. you know, if, if they if they create a floor, let's say seventy million, which is probably lower than what it's going to be, right. they're they're going to have to add thirty million of payroll at least. So, what is the the first kind of defining move the Orioles make? You know, say if it were to happen this off season, um, you know, who would be the guy they would go out and get? Who would they spend? You know, a I lot mean, of, think, of some I of that think... money on. I think obviously the Orioles would would have to spend any additional income on pitching. Yeah, yeah, you know? and and that immediately puts you at a totally different level of competition. You know, than than the Orioles have. Well, I mean, I'm I'm stunned, guys. I mean, I know we're talking about the big picture here. Just two two little picture items is not re-signing Chris Ellis. And re-signing yeah. Spencer Watkins, I'm I'm just mystified at what the club is thinking with Spencer Watkins. I, I think yeah. they just want depth, really, to a degree. Um, but Chris Ellis, yeah, that it's a questionable decision considering yeah. the Orioles need starting pitching, and you know Chris Ellis was one of the better starters over a six-game stretch that they've had all year. So that it was a bit yeah. questionable. And there, obviously, there's always a chance you could bring him back on a on a you know yep. minor league yep. free agent deal. But it's Chris, just a weird message to give to. Oh, I, I agree, yeah. I, and I think Chris Ellis could go out there and he could, you know, show off those six games and the, you know, the. I believe he had a sub three ERA in those games and say, yep. hey, you know, yep. I, I'll take a, you know, a major league deal yep. at at the league minimum, and you know, he gets paid five hundred seventy thousand yep. for that. So I'm even it, more mystified by the need to to resign Spencer Watkins. I, I just, uh, you know, I mean, he's not going to be on the forty man roster, correct? He signed a minor league contract. Correct. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I mean, the look. Is just uh, I, to me, it's a very mystifying to me. Now, I, I <clears throat> excuse me, I may have missed this, but is Chris Ellis still out there? Or did he sign with somebody else at this point? I don't. I have not him. seen him sign I'll with anybody else, but I wouldn't say that I'm on top of all, the you know the, the volume of player movements yeah. kind of wild right now. You know, yeah, it, it it really is, and as we're joined by. Uh, by saying the fan Charles here on the batter on the And you're having Evan Drellich on today? We're having Evan Drellich on today to talk That's about great. this further. That's great. I um, hope people will listen, to, you know, stick with us and listen to that because he's right in the top of this. Yeah, he, he's he's all over. He, he seems to put out a new article about it every day. Yeah. Uh, as I was saying, we're joined by Stan the Fan, Charles, here on the bat around this Saturday morning. And, Stan, you're talking about all this player movement. And according to Jeff Passan, the markets for Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon have heated up to the point that they're both expected to sign before the expiration of the current CBA on December 1st. There's also projections of multiple free agents starting pitchers getting big deals before the lockout. The theory, Stan, is that a lot of these bigger deals could get done quickly because if there, when and if there is a freeze and they're expecting it to last until about February, there's going to be what they deem a stampede for the free agents. And you may have to overpay for the player that you want to get on your team because right. there's going to be so many suitors firing so rapidly. Uh, what do you make of this? Do you think that this changes the way the Orioles do things? Do you anticipate a fe- or, and do you anticipate a feeding frenzy over the next two to three weeks before this CBA expires? Um, 
I'm sure there's going to be a fair amount of movement over the next couple of weeks. And like you, you're saying, uh, or, or you're reading, you know, that uh, uh, Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon may go. You know, uh, Scott Boris technically likes likes those shorter windows uh, where teams make decisions much more emotionally than calculating. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I would think the Dodgers, the Yankees, and Texas will be vying for those three guys, uh, two guys, Simeon and Seager. That's, that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking right now. I think Texas is going to have a lot of money to spend, and I think the Yankees always have a lot of money to spend. But I think they're going to be much more in the market for Seager or Semyon than, um, than, say, the Tigers, if the Tigers are really serious about you know Correa. Yeah, the, the, and that's the word on the street is that they're, they've talked to the representatives of all five of the top free agent shortstops the Tigers have. So yeah. uh, I'll be interested to see what they do. It seems like they want to kind of re- ramp up their rebuild efforts to the next phase as well. So we'll see how yeah. that goes moving yeah. forward. Now getting to some Orioles stuff here, Stan. The Orioles, they they put Hunter Harvey on waivers, and he gets ends up being claimed by the Giants. We talked about that last week. Then they go right. out and they sign a guy like a Brian Baker, who was a stud uh, in the minor leagues, although his walk rate was a little high for Toronto. And people were kind of like, why would you get rid of Hunter Harvey to get a guy who's basically the same guy? Um, and then they go out and they sign Rico Garcia to a minor league deal. He just had Tommy John surgery. He won't be ready till mid to late summer. Are these the moves that we're looking at for the Orioles to in their um, – efforts to kind of revamp their bullpen or, or, or are we expecting to see something with a little bit more oomph to it as we move along? Well, I think, I think uh, the key to that is um, Zach was talking about is the timing of when this floor is coming in. You know, if we, if we sort of buy into the fact that there will be a floor, uh, if it's going to be this year, then there's no rush, but uh, they seem to want to be surrounding themselves with more and more depth, you know, type of depth pieces with upsides right now. I was reading uh, from Rockabaco, and he was talking about how the Marlins were very interested in Anthony Santander, and this year they've come out and said that they're willing to, st- they're to trade from their surplus of starting pitching to acquire an outfielder and a catcher. Now, the Orioles, obviously, they don't have a catcher to trade, and Adley Rutschman's as untouchable as they get in the game today. Um, do you see the Orioles possibly trading to revamp their pitching staff this offseason? I think they'll explore every single opportunity, and I just don't know if Santander is going to bring you one of the real, real good arms like an Alcantara or something like that. I, I don't know if they could pull something like that off. I, I see no chance in that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I see a yes. lot of Orioles I mean, fans talking about how Santander is going to be traded for one of the young pitchers, and I'm going, how does Santander have any value besides the fact that you know what he did in 2020? The, he did, you know, he's worth .2 WAR in 2021 over a full season. I mean, there there is really no value with him right now. I yeah. just don't. See yeah, it. I don't see a great deal of value, uh, and I. Still, I'm still on the fence whether I see this club tendering him. You know, yeah. Again, it, I don't yeah. know the the situation. Clearly, if there would be a floor implemented, then he would probably get tendered. Yeah. You know, yeah. But it, but without 
without a floor, I'm, I'm not certain that uh, there's there's an upside I, to keeping him. I don't you know. know if a team is going to want to pay because you know he's making 2.1 million last year. I don't know what the jump up is going to look like in arbitration. It's something like three, three and yeah. three quarter million, something like is that. He, is he right. 0.2 war worth that? You know, even though he is a guy who you know has some is switch hitter with power. We we've talked about that a lot, but again, there was virtually no production in 2021, um, and he's always injured. So I, I don't know why a team would yeah. look at this and go. He's worth three and a half million dollars. Well, but then you yeah. also have to factor in that there's probably going to be a universal DH in this new True. collective bargaining okay, agreement, yeah, and and that's, to keep that's him, a good point. That, that would raise his value a little bit in the National League. But again, the overriding thing with him is if you got production, sort of a, consistently during a season, but there's these huge gaps where he where he hasn't been able to play, right? And for a team to be able to project. Well, we know he'll be able to play. Those are freak injuries or something. I mean, the injury last year was a sort of a freak, freak one. But you know, at the whole, the whole, the whole specter of his career has been shadowed by—I won't say overshadowed, but shadowed by the, his injury history. That's how we acquired him. That's how the Orioles kind of knew about him yep. and sort of knew that uh, Cleveland was trying to sneak him through. Yep. Um, you know. Yeah, and as yeah. as a mainstay on this roster, the last three years he has yeah. finished the season injured each of those three seasons. Two yeah. years, yeah. Uh, two years in twenty nineteen yeah. and twenty twenty on the IL last year, just on the bench the last week because of a knee issue. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're absolutely he's, he's right. not a guy I have like sort of high hopes either of performance or return in investment in a trade. You know, well, no. he is he is sort of what he is. You know, yeah, he's so, a he's a starting outfielder. On a team that loses a hundred games, mm-hmm. and he misses, you know, thirty or forty games at least. You yeah, know. that that is Anthony Santander to a T. Now, it, somebody who wasn't performing, who is now performing, is now getting accolades for uh, Stan is Cedric Mullins. He was just named an AL Silver Slugger after his two ninety one season, in which he hit thirty homers and stole thirty bases. How special is a Silver Slugger for Cedric Mullins, given what he went through in his career, and where do you rank his season? Uh, all time in the in the annals of Orioles history. Well, it's it's certainly he pulled off an historical feat, which puts him you know at or near the top. I mean, certainly wouldn't say he's a a, a Cal Ripken you know best season or uh, Eddie Murray's best seasons or even Brady Anderson's probably fifty home run season. Right. But um, but it's 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 up there. It's certainly in the top five or six seasons probably in Oriole history with Gentile's season in 1961, mm-hmm. Frank Robinson winning a triple crown. You got to put those ahead of that. Um, but it's in the top eight, it's probably top eight to 10 seasons all time in Oriole history insofar as a position player. Oh, I, I absolutely agree with you. And now this yeah. is a question that kind of just popped into my head. Uh, I was actually going back and forth with some people on social media this past week about how Cedric Mullins' trade value has never been higher. And if people, if teams like the Florida Marlins are willing to give up from the uh, starting pitching surplus, he could be an attractive option. The Orioles have a ton of outfielders who can all play center field coming right. through their pipeline right now. I get the PR hit that it would be for the Orioles, but if you're running the team and you're not thinking about the PR hit, you have to be intrigued at least by exploring that option. Yeah, probably. You know, um, it's just again the PR hit would be probably pretty. 
you know, when you take a PR hit and your attendance is what it is, there's not quite the ri- the risk of a downside because you're already, you know, at, at sort of a, ro- a rock bottom nader type of position uh, in your popularity and your enthusiasm of the fan base, you know. Yeah, no, and you're you're correct. So might you might be able to argue that the time would be never be better than right now when his value is never higher and it, your it is it is, is an lower. interesting pro, it is an interesting proposition when you look how a team is going to get arms to be ready when you think the team is going to be more ready offensively, mm-hmm. uh, and that would be an interesting way. And yeah. again, I point to that that cautionary story I've told you guys a couple times about Mike Young and Floyd Rayford. And don't kid yourself and think that Cedric Mullins, this is his sort of new baseline. The chances of a regression to the mean are still very strong with Cedric Mullins. Absolutely. No, I 100% agree with you. And it'll be very interesting to monitor and see what the Orioles are willing to do, if they're willing to do anything to kind of add through trade to that, to that, uh, that hole in their in their rotation and bullpen for that matter. Yeah, Ryan yeah. Mountcastle, he's not winning any awards this offseason. I'm who? So who are the three nominees for? Is it uh, Garcia in Texas? It's Luis Garcia from the Astros. Astros. Yeah. Right. Then you have Randy Arosarena and Wander Franco. They're the three finalists. I oh, was, okay. okay. I was. I was shocked to see Mountcastle, who led all Major League rookies in home runs, was second in RBIs, total bases, and extra base hits, not in the final three. Yeah. Do you do you look at it as a snub like I do, and also do you see this as a product of the Orioles just being really, really bad? Uh, I don't think the impact on an individual award like that should have any any consequence by how bad the team is. Right. I think what might have played into this, and I don't know the criteria, is th- is the look of him as a as a true rookie. You know, uh, yes he yes he qualified for the award, but he got a a major head start in playing. What did he play? Like thirty thirty some games. Thirty three games, year? I believe. But so did Randy Arosarena. He got a, he yeah. got a head start too. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you can argue that Arosarena won this award last October, correct? Right. Yeah. Right. So, and, and it's it's somewhat stunning to me. Um, Garcia had a he had a very nice year. There's no question about it. But I certainly think that uh, so so it's Wander Franco, Garcia, and who's the third? And a Rosarina. And a Rosarina. Yeah. I I could actually see those three players being deemed more more consequential than Ryan. They're, they're deserving, and now that I course. think about it, it, it might have something to do a little bit with the yeah. the relative MVP ish type of look that their seasons had. Where yeah, you know, it's really hard for a team as poor as the Orioles were to have a player that's at their most valuable. Even though we're not talking about that, um, I could see those three players being deemed more valuable to their teams. Yeah, and 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 like I was saying, Ryan Mountcastle's a rookie on a 110 loss um, Orioles yeah. team, and uh, Adolis Garcia, who's also not a finalist, he was a rookie on a 100 loss Texas Rangers team. So uh, right. I, I think that that does factor in. It maybe not a lot, but I yeah, think no, I, I see. I see what you're alluding to. It didn't initially strike me as that way, but when I look at who the three candidates are, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it, it, it kind of and I kind sense. of had forgotten Wander Franco because he 
wasn't around the whole year. Yeah, he, you he know. played half a year, it seemed yep. to be. So. Yep. Hey, Stan, who, do you know who you have coming up with Ross on Monday? Um, Not just yet. I apologize. No, we're going to okay. have somebody, but we're not quite sure yet. We're waiting to go through a uh, approval process, and we hope to have uh, be able to announce that shortly. Sounds important. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> not it's, it's, it's not it's, it's not that it's just sort of a process you got to go through. Yeah, I, I know all too well about the process yeah. of acquiring yeah. of yeah. procuring talent. Uh, the he is Stan the fan Charles. You can follow him. What's what's your Twitter handle again? There, Stan at Stan uh, Charles or at Stan, no at Stan at the fan Stan, at Stan the fan. Yeah, yeah, you can follow Stan at Stan the fan on Twitter. He joins us every Saturday on the line here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Stan, thanks so much for taking. Some all right, I'm looking Saturday. forward to your interview with Evan. What time is that coming up? Evan eleven forty-five. He'll be on. All right, all right. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks, thanks Stan. Have a great weekend. As always, you too. And once again, that was Stan the Fan, Charles. He has two great shows for you every week. And like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher uh, Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross chat with former Orioles shortstop Mike Bordick, while Stan, Gary, and John Colson celebrate the life and legacy of Tom Matty with his friends Scott Garceau and Bruce Cunningham. Find these shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports and at pressboxonline.com slash video. We're not going to get a break just yet. Um, again, coming up this Monday, Stan's going to ha- he, he will have a guest for you. We're thinking he just has to get the the proper approval. And that's what happens. Sometimes you got to jump through a few hoops oh, to yeah. get to get oh, guests yeah. for a show. <laughs> so um, we look forward to seeing who he's going to have on Monday and who he's going to have on Wednesday with Gary Stein. So we'll see that coming up. Remains to be seen, as that is, is the, the motto the show. of this show. I want to do talk. I, I want to do. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about Tom Matty, um, because Tom, Tom Matty passed away about a week and a half ago at the age of eighty-two. The reports were that CTE probably mm. played a factor in this. That he was kind of uh, falling into dementia, uh, and it was getting worse as the days and months, days, weeks, months, and years went by. Uh, and Tad, Tom Matty, borderline Hall of Fame player. He was a roommate of Jack Nicholas's um, at, at Ohio State. I learned that on the radio last week. Um, they were roommates, and he actually the story that was told um, by Scott Garceau on 105.7 The Fan was that he was learning how to play golf from Jack Nicholas, and so the clubs that he used were Jack Nicholas's old set of clubs, and then he traded them in. Uh, um, he, so he gave them to Tom Matty, and then Tom traded them in at some point for a newer set of clubs, a better set of clubs once he started to get a, become a better golfer. And he always lamented it because he said he could have retired if he had held on to those <laughs> yeah. Jack Nicholas golf clubs. So the, uh, Baltimore and the sports world in general lost a great one in Tom Matty. Hell of a nice guy. Um, he was uh, an all-pro uh, running back fullback for the Baltimore Colts and actually had to fill in um, after injuries to both starting quarterbacks and play quarterback for basically a full season for them um, at, at one point Which in his is career. Crazy. It, it, crazy. it is crazy. Now, look, he didn't have a lot of passing yards. He didn't have a lot of passing attempts. It was probably more so like a Wildcat type of thing mm-hmm. before the Wildcat was ever a thing, but he still did it. You know what I mean? Border, yeah. Borderline Hall of Famer, he uh, won a couple of NFL championships. So yeah. um, Baltimore uh, really mourning the passing of Tom Matty. And uh, it was something that, even though this is a baseball show and he was a football guy, something I felt needed to be mentioned um, before at some point by us to allude to his greatness there. So thank you to, to Tom Matty uh, for everything that you did for this community and for the uh, sports in general in Baltimore and blessings and prayers out to his family.
Um, I do want to talk a little bit um, about Cedric Mullins because, honestly, the more I think about it, and can you turn me down just a little bit? I'm sure. A, I'm a little out. Thanks, bud. Um, the more I think about it, yeah, the, the, that's good. Thank you. Um, the more I'm on board with trading him, and I've talked about this in the past. Me too. And, and again, I think you're going to see a regression for him. I don't think that he's going to suddenly become a 250 hitter, but I think you'll see a regression to a 20 homer season with 30 steals uh-huh. and, and a 280 batting average, and that's a great season. Sure. That's still a great sure. season, right? But he set the bar so high for himself, his value will never be higher. And if you have the uh, the Miami Marlins willing to trade st- starting pitching like a Trevor Rogers or a Sandy Alcantara mm-hmm. for outfield help, yeah, that's a move that you have to make, in my opinion, especially yeah. when you consider the fact that you still have Austin Hayes, who can play center field and has a much better arm, yep. who has comparable power, yep. uh, and he's got speed. Not that it's not Cedric Mullins' speed, but he's, he's got pretty speed. Fast. Yeah. You've got Colton Kowser coming up. You've got Hudson Haskin coming mm-hmm. up. And you can legitimately have a starting outfield next year of Hayes in center, Stowers in left, and Newstrom in right, or yeah. flip-flop those guys. And you're not really that's losing. A, that's a good outfield. That, that's a really good and really <laughs> yeah. young outfield. Yeah, that is something that I'd be willing to explore. I think you have to be willing to explore it if you're the Orioles. Look, I mean, Cedric Mullins is great. We love Cedric Mullins. Every, you know, everyone does. He's a guy who fought through adversity and has become the best player on the Orioles. But look, the fact is true that Cedric Mullins was a 30-30 guy this year. But I also think there's a lot of, I guess doubt on my end and I, I would say the majority of baseball fans who look at this and analyze the situation that Cedric Mullins is ever going to come out again and do a 30-30 season I just that's almost it's so difficult to do no Oriole had ever done it before just keep that in mind I mean all the great Orioles Ken Singleton is a guy who could have done it you never know there's so many great Orioles but nobody's ever done 30-30 and I don't think Cedric Mullins will ever replicate that himself I don't think that will happen I think that you can see him being a guy who steals 30 to 40 bases in season I, but 30 homers I don't know that he's going to do that no, again I don't think especially so especially uh, as the Orioles lineup continues to improve to I, improve I think there's inevitable regression I think it's inevitable I just don't think he can ever replicate this I think Cedric Mullins at you know in a in a regular season it's maybe you know he's a 5.7 war player this year maybe he's more of a three and a half war to three player um so I I think to me trading Cedric Mullins makes a lot more sense right now than it ever will because again you're going to grab a lot of value for him right now and if, and if hey the Marlins want to trade the Orioles you know Sandy Alcantara for him I'm all in I'm all in on that I think yeah. uh, the Orioles are in desperate need of, of competent starting pitching and they have a lot coming in the outfield yeah and these guys are still under team control so it's not going to cost you a ton of money and if right. the Orioles are in uh pinching pennies mode right now yeah uh, that's kind of uh that's something that you really have to look at look I, I I agree that this past year, trading Trey Mancini would have been a huge PR hit. That even the Orioles, even Mike Elias would say, I can't do can't, that. Can't do I it. I can't yeah. do it. Can't do it. I don't think that's the case with many other guys, if any no. other guys. I don't no. think that in Mike Elias's mind, he's not he's not operating based on how his heart feels. Right. This is a businessman whose yeah. job is to rebuild the Baltimore Orioles. And if rebuilding yeah. the Baltimore Orioles is trading a guy who's coming off arguably the best season that he's ever going to have, mm-hmm. who's 
throwing arm is suspect. Yeah. When you have guys who can put up similar production in your system who have better arm, who are around the same age or younger, under a little bit more team control. Not Cedric right. Mullins still has a lot of team control. He don't does. get me wrong, but these other guys have even more, and they have the better throwing arm. And you can get great starting pitching. There's no way that Mike Elias isn't fielding calls on Cedric Mullins. So obviously, we we can't see what the Orioles' models say, but the Orioles are very model based. They run everything through you know the, the models that Sig uh, that Sig builds, and they've hired so many you know analysts and and programmers all to build these models that project Cedric Mullins's you know uh, career path and his long term value. And I'm going to tell you right now. I bet you in 2023, 24, that value is significantly lower than where it is now because you just can't project Cedric Mullins to ever do what he did this year. And I think there's just imminent regression. It's inevitable at this point. And I think that trading him is something you've got to explore. If it Look, I'm not saying take any deal. But right player, right price, make it happen. Yeah, you certainly don't take any deal. This no, is not one no, of those situations. No. This is a situation where you get as much as right. you can. And if as much Sell as you can high. is... A really good starting pitcher and a mid-level starting pitcher from the from the Miami Marlins. Yeah. Then you do it. Oh yeah. Then you oh, yeah. do it. And and again, when we talk about a regression with Cedric Mullins, we're not talking back no. to what he was in 2019. <laughs> no. We're talking aggression to back to maybe what he was in 2020. I, I think I could see a you know a 2020 guy being a realistic 2022 projection for Cedric Mullins. Yeah, I I, I will agree with you. You guys are listening to the Bat Around. We're coming to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And the, I just want to remind you that the Bat Around is brought to you by Press. Boxes Project Game Day. Once again, the season Press Boxes Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all your t- all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show? Tune in to Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined post game by your favorite analysts like the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Game Day is back next Sunday for the Baltimore-Chicago matchup. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash Sports and listen to PressBox online slash radio. PressBox's Project Game Day every game day presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. When we come back on the bat around we have from the Baltimore Sun, the one and only John Mioli. Receive a free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich offer card as a thank you when you donate to Toys for Tots on Saturday, November 20th at any of the 13 Baltimore area Chick-fil-A Stuff the Truck event sites. Be one of the first 50 people to donate and you also get a free t-shirt. For a location list and more information, visit PressBoxOnline.com slash Toy Drive. Hey, it's KZ. The Pressbox Fantasy Football Show is back, as always, on Thursdays. You can catch it at 1130. We're brought to you this year, CCBC and Glory Days Grill. You can catch the show two ways, Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. The slash radio is if you want to listen. On Facebook is if you actually want to see my ugly face. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. DFS, daily lineups, keepers, all kinds of fun stuff. Please tune in, Pressbox Fantasy Football Show every Thursday, 11.30 a.m. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is coming soon to Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Maryland, this is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career? Or maybe you want an IT 
certification. CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field. And it's all tuition free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy their award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings. Or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $6.99 burgers on Mondays and $5.99 nachos on Thursdays. And watch football on their big screens every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Dine in and let us serve you or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Hey guys, it's Paul Valley, and there's a new era of Glen Clark Radio as I've joined Glenn every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon. There will be some changes, but what won't change is the absolute best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you, very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Coach Mark Turgeon. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. You can watch us live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. And podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All right, welcome back to the batter round, and we our number one is in the books. Just want to remind you that our number one of the of the batter round is brought to you by the Tyus Bowser Show, which is headed your way this season. Join the Baltimore linebacker and his special guest teammates at various locations around town with your chance to get pictures and autographs and hear everything that needs to be said before and after games. If you can't make it out, you can watch the shows live at Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports or listen to them the next day. The Tyus Bowser Show is brought to you by Great Eights Memorabilia and Pressbox, as well as Window Depot. WindowDepotBaltimore.com and Duffy's Garage in Baldwin. That's Duffy'sGarageMD.com. Find out more about the Tyus Bowser Show at PressboxOnline.com slash Bowser or at GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. That's great. The number eight, the letter S, Memorabilia.com. The next Tyus Bowser Show is this Tuesday night, November 16th at Mother's in Timonium. We'd love to see you there and ask that you consider donating a gift card to Wise Markets or Giant in order to support the Harvest of Hope and their attempts to feed those in need in our community this Thanksgiving. Guys, every $20 gift card that you donate to Harvest of Hope gets three turkeys, uh, gets a turkey for three families uh, this holiday season. So you're really helping out by just donating a one $20 gift card. So please think about doing that and get it out there to join us for the Tyus Bowser Show this Tuesday, the 16th, at Mother's Intimonium. Joining us now from the Baltimore Sun, he is a beat writer covering the Baltimore Orioles. We have John Mioli. John, thanks for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. You're welcome. How's it going? We're doing pretty well. How are you today? Oh, hanging in. Hanging in. How are, how are things with the uh, wife and the new baby? 
They're good. She uh, slept in today, which was good, and then now she doesn't want to take a nap, which is bad. So, you know, yeah, that's, everything's that's balanced. Fatherhood, right? That's how it goes, man. Um, I'm sure you're handling it all in stride, though. Now, John, we have a couple of weeks before the collective bargaining agreement expires, and the Orioles have some roster additions that they need to make. Uh, right now, they need at least two catchers, uh, uh, starting pitching and relief help, and potentially holes at third base and shortstop that need to be filled. Have you heard any rumblings about moves that the Orioles may potentially be making this offseason? Uh, no. Uh, in, in short, no. Um, you know, they're they're looking at, you know, I'm sure looking at, like, low-level, you know, guys who will sign minor league deals and, and, and get invites to big league camp. They're not going to spend, you know, big money. I think Michael Elias is pretty clear about that without saying, you know, without saying as much, but yeah, they they need you know they need catchers. There's going to be, you know, there's probably two or three dozen you know big league experience, just you know steady hand guys that they can have their pick from when you know when when all the craziness after the lockout you know ends in February or whenever it ends. There's going to be a bunch of guys who need jobs, and the Orioles are going to try to find you know bargains bargains there. Even though the Dan Duquette era is you know long over, I think it's a little bit of a holdover from that where you know you wait out the market and. And, and unless you really want a guy, you go and get him early. You just wait. Whoever's there, you just, you know, you take him and you say thank you. Yeah, uh, I, I hear you on that one. Now, is there a feeling around the team that they are content to give extended looks to the trio of Jorge Mateo, Calvin Gutierrez, and Ramon Arias to fill some of those holes in the infield? I think so. I think even if you bring in, you know, a veteran shortstop the way they have in the last couple of years, um, I think that there's plenty of playing time for all those guys. Um they obviously love what Mateo was able to do when he came over. Um, you know, Gutierrez really came around with the bat, and you know, he had he had very long stretches of very good third base defense. You know, interspersed with with some with some less steady moments. And Arias was you know arguably one of their most consistent hitters when he was healthy. And I think that all those guys gave no reason to say, "Oh, we need better." You know, are they going to be starting infielders on the next good Orioles team? No, but you know, everyone talks about utility players as just being you know guys who can't hit but can play all the positions. If they have these guys who can maybe hit and can play all the positions, that's an upgrade too. So you give them a chance now, and and I think having like a veteran shortstop come in wouldn't really uh, influence that too much. Uh, is, we've seen the additions recently of Brian Baker on a waiver claim from the Blue Jays. Rico Garcia signed to a minor league deal, even though he won't be ready until midseason as he continues to recover from Tommy John surgery. The Orioles' biggest hole is in the starting rotation and in the bullpen. Are these the type of moves that we can expect moving forward for them to address that, or do you still see maybe some major league deals going out to some starting pitching and some relief help? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't think they're going to spend, you know, any kind of legitimate money on, on, on starting pitching. Um, you know, they've given out, I believe one big league deal for, for a starter, um, in, in, in the three years of, of the Michael Elias era. And that was Cole Stewart and, you know, he didn't pitch an inning for him. So, yeah. um, it's going to be, it's going to be the same as, as it has been where you take guys who are looking for, you know, somewhere to catch on and have them signed to a minor league deal. It'll give them a million bucks if they're in the big leagues and, and you get from that what they will. But, but I don't think that they're, you know, I don't think they're really going to be the types of players and type of price ranges they're looking for that they're going to sign to a multi-year deal. And outside that, you know, if they want to win, they could sign a bunch of like, you know, $9 million pitchers for one year and let them, 
come pitch here, but who wants to do that in Camden Yards in this division? I think it's just going to be the same as, as status quo here. Yeah, the, the writing kind of seems to be on the wall for that as they continue to move towards uh, these other t- these top prospects graduating to the major league level on this team. Uh, there has been talk that the Miami Marlins are willing to trade from their starting pitching surplus to acquire outfield talent. Uh, Zach and I were just talking about this before our, our first break, and we were saying that Cedric Mullins might be able to get you a Sandy Alcantara and maybe somebody else um, in a trade, and arguing, we're arguing that his trade value may never be higher. Do you see this as something that Mike Elias would explore? Do you think that he thinks a PR hit would be way too big uh, to, uh, to trade Cedric Mullins? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I, truthfully, I don't know why the, you know the Orioles would even consider that. I think they'd have to be blown away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one good starting pitcher who, who you have under control for a couple of years is not, you know, is not worth a you know an All Star caliber outfielder who just had a career year and you know isn't even arbitration eligible yet. I don't think you're going to see commensurate value. I think it would have to be, you know, the kind of package that it would have to be a massive return for the Orioles to get that and. And the idea of a team, you know, trading a massive, you know, group of prospects and, and and value for for a player who only had one year um, at the level that Cedric Mullins did would probably be a non-starter for a lot of teams. So I don't see, you know, I don't see the Orioles getting anywhere near value for what Cedric Mullins would be. I don't think one starting pitcher is even close to that, and and, right. and I don't think that it would be enough, even if even even if they wanted to. There's, you know, as much as you know, they kind of tell you what they were, what they're going to do if if you listen and. You know, even if they're not going to spend money and try to compete this year, I think that they're at least at the point now where it's going to take a lot to prize some of these players who could be around when they're good away from them. No, no, it's it, it's a fair point. I guess my mindset there is that the Orioles do have, just like the Miami Marlins have a surplus of starting pitching, the Orioles have a surplus of outfield depth uh, coming through the system. Do you see the Orioles making any kind of trades uh, to try and acquire pitching that way if they're not going to go the free agent route? Um, uh, again, I think I think that you know they've seen you know if you if this time last year were you know there was all the talk about Anthony Santander being maybe a trade candidate given the year that he had and and you said that because oh you have DJ Stewart who could play a corner outfield spot you have Houston LDS who's about to be up and you know a year later you know Santander didn't have the year that he had but DJ Stewart was not very good and Houston LDS had one of the worst years of anyone in all the minor leagues so you, you can't really count on that if you have good players you have to you have to hang on to them. And conversely, you know, now somebody like DJ Stewart isn't going to have a ton of value. If they try to dangle him down Santander, you're not going to get the kind of value that you wanted. I think that even if the Orioles are, even if the Orioles are, you know, dealing with a surplus there, I don't think that, I don't think that at this point, unless there's, you know, unless there's a real win of a trade, you're, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to sell that or, or have that be, be a move that they want to make. You know, even Austin Hayes has had like good spells, but you're not going to get like a controllable, you know, starting pitcher that you're looking for for somebody like Austin Hayes at this point. So I just don't think those kind of deals are going to be available to them, to be perfectly honest. Uh, that, that's that's fair enough. We have John Mioli from the Baltimore Sun who covers the Baltimore Orioles uh, joining us on the show today in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Uh, John, we just have a few minutes left with you, a couple questions left for you. Um, the Orioles, they have a number of guys who they would have to protect from the Rule 5 if they want to keep them in the organization. The obvious ones are Kevin Smith, Kyle Bradish, D.L. Hall, and potentially even Taron Vavra. But then you have guys like Robert Newstrom and Patrick Dorian and Felky Peralta. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, Blaine Knight, Cody Sedlock. Who do you think – we know the, 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 the main four, right? 
but they could protect up to as many as six we're hearing. Who do you think the Orioles are viewing as somebody that they really want to protect that maybe we're not talking about? Uh, I, th- I think the, all those guys are under consideration. I know Newstrom is somebody that the hitting staff really worked hard with at Bowie to kind of remake his swing a little bit. All of a sudden, he hit, started you know hitting for extra bases a lot more frequently. He carried that up to AAA. Um, Ofelki Peralta is an interesting one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, he throws hard. Yeah, he has has a big mix. Um, you know, he's one of those guys I'd be interested to see if any you know other teams scouts would even have him. You know, as a big leaguer, he's been around for so long. People have seen him. You know in in various different ways you know good bad you know in the middle that i'd I'd be very surprised if there were a lot of you know as these rule five draft meetings are happening if there's a lot of people who are like banging the table being like we need to go get Ofelki peralta if the orioles leave him exposed so in that sense i think that they might you know take a risk there i think I i think that a lot of those pitchers you know that you mentioned probably you'll leave them off and say you know take the kind of the gray fencer route and say you know if they go, they might come back. Um, I think especially for guys who are starting pitchers, if they don't think they're going to be starting pitchers long-term, they're not going to add them to the roster. That was kind of the case with Gray Fenter. Um, and and he didn't end up sticking. Uh, I think that somebody uh, like Felix Batista could be like a dark horse, uh, just a big hard-throwing reliever who got all the way up to AAA this year. He throws 100. He's around the strike zone more than he used to be. Um, you know, that is the type of thing that would get taken if you, if you leave it exposed. Um, but otherwise, I think that those, like, main four names that, that you're talking about are, are, are probably probably the ones. And then maybe there's a, a wild card in there like Batista, too. Now, John, of course, this is all content, contingent on there being a new collective bargaining agreement in place. And everything that we're seeing is that there's going to be an owner's lockout starting December 2nd that could go all the way into February, hopefully not longer than that. Uh, with that in mind, that would mean that the winter meetings would get postponed and the Rule 5 draft would get postponed. Uh, what are you hearing about that, if anything? Would they reschedule the Rule 5 draft, or will we just go a year without the winter meetings and without that draft? Uh, you know, I haven't heard anything about it. Um, I believe there was one year. Actually, I did read something that, like, one year there was a Rule 5 draft, even though there was no winter meetings. Um, you know, truthfully, that could be something that happens. It's not like the teams aren't preparing for it anyways. It's not like the teams aren't going to, like, add players to the roster anyways. I feel like if they just, you know, if there is a work stoppage, you know, they could just do it in an afternoon. It's not like it's a big deal anyways. You know, it used to be a conference call. Mm-hmm. Now it's this thing. And, you know, now they make it kind of a thing in the, in the, you know, at the winter meetings, but it doesn't have to be, it could take 20 minutes and it could, you know, they could do it over email for, for all anybody cares and just announce the results. Like, you know, send out a press release. It doesn't have to be like a big production if they want to do it. But, but, but again, it's all contingent on CBA. And I think there's, you know, I think there's probably going to be, there's probably going to be a lot more of the, the pressing things they're thinking about as they're getting ready to to deal with that than than where the rule five draft comes in. Sure. John, but with this impending lockout and you know the, the negotiations that would usually be happening at, at this time, obviously December, January, they're big months for negotiations as far as free agency goes, trade wise. Are teams kind of allowed to do anything under the table that may not be known? You know, can Justin Verlander go to the Astros GM's house and and talk a contract with him while this lockout is happening, or is that all kind of strictly policed by Major League Baseball? Yeah, I, I don't think that. You know, I don't think either side would kind of have an incentive to do that. Uh, you know, I, I I don't think as a player you want to be seen as somebody who's going around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the group and as as an owner you certainly don't want to be somebody who's trying to skirt the rules and i think that example too you know the astros probably aren't probably aren't in a position to be trying to push the envelope on a lot of things i know it's just an example but but i I don't think there's going to be a lot of incentive for that truthfully i think that 
you know, I, I think that if you're going to see any how this impact things at all and how free agency goes, I think there's going to be some some teams that just want to do what they want to do early and like lock up the big players they want early so they don't have to wait for it. And I'm sure there's going to be some players who say, hey, you know, I was thinking in my head, you know, a five year deal for 125, but I don't know what this is going to look like in a couple months. So if you want to go like, you know, four for a hundred let's do it let's get it done you know something like that or four for four for 90 or take a little discount just so they know where they're going to be because the reason you start seeing people sign you know start that week before spring training that two weeks before spring training period when all of a sudden all these guys start signing minor league deals and just get to camp yeah teams want to fill out their roster but also these people have wives they have kids they have families um they want to know where they're going to be and they want to know where you know where to rent a house for spring training and where to start looking for for during the season and there's gonna if they if there are too many people who leave it for like february for the end of a work stoppage it's gonna be it's gonna be unpleasant for everybody so i'm sure there's just gonna be people who want to get it over with quick he is john mioli he covers the baltimore orioles for the baltimore sun you can follow him on twitter at john mioli john is there anything we can plug for you today not really um we're you know we'll probably do some rule five stuff this week um coming up as the deadline to protect players comes. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, minor league stuff. The Baseball America rankings came out. That was pretty good. It's um, pretty much it. It's been a quiet time over at, uh, at uh, on the Orioles front here. Kind of nice. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it is, especially after that, that long, grueling season they just came off of. John, thanks so much for taking some time with us on a Saturday morning. Best uh, wishes to you, and happy holidays to you. Enjoy uh, your Thanksgiving holiday. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. You too. Take care. And that was John Mioli joining us uh, for a few minutes here to talk about the Rule 5, the new CBA, and who the Orioles need to add. I found it very interesting what he said, saying that um, there's a lot of pitchers that the Orioles, if they were starters in the minor leagues and they don't view them as starters moving forward, they might not protect them. Guys like a Blaine Knight or a Cody Sedlock, maybe even an Ofelki Peralta. The one I never even considered was Felix Batista. And th- that dude's arm is electric. Yeah. He made it to AAA Flame this year. Thrower. Yeah, and he, and he pitched really well. That's a guy who I think if the Orioles don't protect him, somebody's going to take him. And when you're looking at this team and you're looking at what they need uh, in the bullpen, I can't imagine them. I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't protect him because he could help you this year. I I'm not sure I agree with that. Actually, I'm not sure Felix is ready yet. I think he might need a little more seasoning. But I, I do agree with you on the fact that. I do think he could be a guy that is a prime candidate to be taken. Um, I think really, you know, for me at least, any relief prospects are, you know, high candidates to be taken. Look at Gray Fenter. He was taken last year. Yeah. Obviously, he was returned. Zach Pop is taken as well. I, I think relievers to me, a lot of people would argue that bench players like a utility infield or whatever it is would be easier to stash. But I think relievers are very easy to stash. You can throw them out there for an inning, take them out, and that's it. I mean, yeah. that, you, you can do that, you know, a couple times per week. And it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really do that much for you. It doesn't really hurt you that much. And hey, if they're good, like a Tyler Wells was for the Orioles last year, then you, you know, you you did well with that. And Tyler Wells had never pitched above a high, you know, ball at that point. So, to me, I, I think that relief prospects are very, very valuable to teams well, in the Rule and, Five Draft. And guys who are who have pitched at Double A mm-hmm. or Triple A are extra valuable. Extra. Yeah. Th- th- yeah. Those are guys who are going to get snatched up. So right. we'll we'll see what's going to happen here with the Rule Five. If there is a Rule Five, and like John said, it could just be something that once there's an agreement, uh-huh. maybe they can even do it without an agreement. 
that could just happen through email. It's not that big of a deal. We, yeah. We, we yeah. make it a bigger deal in Baltimore because the Orioles take at least one, most of the time recently, two guys. I love the Rule 5. In, in the Rule 5. Yeah. I'm not the biggest fan. I don't think you get much out of it. Tyler, yeah. Tyler Wells, Anthony Santander, um, they're the guys that stand out. But then sure. you also get the, the Ryan uh, – Ryan Flaherty was a valuable piece to a good, ba- to a good Somewhat, Orioles team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Utility guy who could play all over. Um, but then you get the Richie Martins. Of the world, TJ McFarland. Well, TJ McFarland turned himself into he's, a valuable. He's now reliever. good, but it's a horrible Oriole. Horrible. Yeah, yeah. Oriole. He, although he 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 was okay. He, uh, he was okay. TJ McFar, as I always called him. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I don't know why. Um, guys, we got to get a, a second break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to do a little bit of Orioles banter, and then uh, we're going to have the from the Athletic, the senior writer uh, for the Athletic, covering the business of baseball, Evan Drellich. All that and more when we come back after this break. What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser Show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on Pressbox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out PressBoxOnline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Taz Bowser Show. Pressbox and Great Eights memorabilia bring you the next Tyus Bowser Show Tuesday, November 16th at Mothers in Timonium. It's also brought to you by Window Depot Baltimore, WindowDepotBaltimore.com, and by Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, Duffy'sGarageMD.com. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy their award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings, or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $6.99 burgers on Mondays and $5.99 nachos on Thursdays. And watch football on their big screens every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Dine in and let us serve you, or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. That first sip. That first bite. Mmm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Receive a free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich offer card as a thank you when you donate to Toys for Tots on Saturday, November 20th at any of the 13 Baltimore-area Chick-fil-A Stuff the Truck event sites. Be one of the first 50 people to donate, and you also get a free T-shirt. For a location list and more information, visit PressBoxOnline.com slash ToyDrive. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Let's have you 
Chris Jericho, Le Champion, AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Batter Round. Uh, you're joining us live as we come to you from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Stan got back to us just before last break. He got his approval on Monday night. Stan and Ross's guest at 6 p.m. is the Director of Orioles Alumni Affairs, Bill Stecka. So you don't want to miss that. The uh, Stan the Fan Show is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy Sports. Look, Sports betting still isn't in place in Maryland. We don't know when it's going to happen. They keep postponing things and tabling things at these meetings. But that doesn't mean that you can't win um, some money by betting on football legally. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to give you some free money to play with thanks to our friends at Underdog Fantasy Football. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Use the code PRESSBOX and whatever you download, up to $100, we will match. Up to $100. If you bet $100, we'll give you $100. If you bet $80, will give you 80 if you beat if you bet $317.52 we'll give you 100 bucks we will match you up to $100 underdog not only has daily and season long fantasy contests but also prop bets and fun parlay games where you can win every week this season and it's not just football there's plenty of other contests on underdog too so go to pressboxonline.com/fantasy click the underdog logo and deposit your $10 get your $10 free deposit your $100 get your $100 free or use the code PRESSBOX at underdogfantasy.com and have fun winning money with PRESSBOX and Underdog. So yeah, um, we've had a pretty solid show to this point. Stan was Stan was great as always. John Miola giving us some intel into what the Orioles could be doing this offseason. With that in mind, we lead directly into Orioles banter, and that is brought to you by Toyota. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models, RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Orioles banter time, Paul. Yeah, or- Orioles banter. Um, I, said, I feel like I said it banner. Like you did. You banner. Said, or- Orioles, banner. Orioles banner. That's a Baltimore thing, I think. Yeah, probably. I, I used thing. to get made fun of for saying button instead of button. Button? Button. That's weird. Uh, you have to That's bu- a little you, bit. You have to button your jacket. If you, if you say vest, you have to button your jacket. It, nah, it, that sounds right. Right. But that it, sounds it's, all right. it's button. I got made fun of relentlessly in my teenage years for saying button. <laughs> That's and what people I, were making fun of you for? Well, but <laughs> it, was my, it was my best friend's little brother. But he made fun of me relentlessly for it. And I was like, man, he if this kid noticed it, other yeah, people are noticing yeah. it. And if I want to work in sports, I need to learn how to say the word button correctly. So I had to force <laughs> myself to say it correctly. Same thing with the word thanks. And now that I'm saying this, I feel like we've talked about this on the show before. Not in fact, thanks, no. In fact, I know we have both of them at the same time. Uh, anyway, moving. Did, did we? Yes. It's, okay. you, it usually begins with you making fun of how you said something oh, and yeah. then me trying yeah. to 
trying to relate and, and um, well, empathize all, with I, you. I, I say some really stupid things on the show, if we're being honest. With, with, well, my, with well. my, my name pronunciation is far from being good, but hey, it's getting better. I think uh, I, we have a couple, uh, a couple good ones coming up in the, the GCR promo here in, in a few minutes. So I'm going to nail them. I guarantee it. I guarantee uh, I'm, it. I might have to proofread this. <laughs> you, you might have to. I might have to proofread no, this we, 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 we got a Dalius Thomas. I mean, come on. That one's not that hard. See, I always heard that his name was Adalus. No, Adalius. Right, but there's an I in there, but yeah. I always heard that he called himself Adalus. I maybe I should call him that then. No, but but Adelius but Thomas. but Glenn says it's Adelius, and Adelius. When, when we had him on the show this past week, he he responded to Adelius. So I'm All gonna right, say it's Adelius. Anyway, Orioles banter. Orioles have a lot of holes that they need to fill um, yeah. on, on this on this major league roster. And look, they're up to 32 players now. That drop after dropping all the way down to 27 uh, players on the 40 man roster, they're now back up to uh, 32 with the. Uh, reinstatements of Jorge Mateo, Jorge Lopez, Keegan Aiken, and DJ Stewart, plus the addition of uh, uh, Brian Blake uh, this past week. So they're up to 32 people on 32 men on this 40-man roster. They still don't have a catcher on the 40-man roster. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to add two of those. Uh, they're going to need to potentially add a shortstop and a third baseman. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at these Orioles Twitter handles. And when I say Orioles Twitter, I mean People that have podcasts like um, Out of State Orioles or um, Connor Newcomb Locked on Orioles, stuff like that, and mm-hmm. I see these wish lists, and they just aren't realistic to me. Yeah, I see that all the, the time. They, they yeah. aren't ta- yeah. talking about getting Eduardo Escobar or uh, Kyle Seager to play. No, the Orioles no, are not going no. to spend that money. They're not going to spend that money on free agents this off season. Yeah. Uh, like, I need to yell it from a rooftop. P- people are saying, oh, well, the Orioles said that they might sign some major league free agents that they'd be willing to do it. Yeah. Not at their guys. price. Not they're those not, guys. They're not giving Kyle Seeger no. 15 to $20 no. million. Dollars. They're not giving Eduardo Escobar no. 8 to $15 million. He's a 30-homer-a-year guy. No. They're not giving those deals out. The Orioles are more inclined to have Kelvin Gutierrez play third base and Ramon Arias play second base. And trot out a mixture of Richie Martin and Jorge Mateo to play shortstop than they are to sign Kyle Seeger or Eduardo Escobar. It's just, guys, it's not going to happen. Listen, there's there's still people who think they're going to sign Corey Seeger or, or Carlos Correa, and I'm going. I don't know how you can look at this team and what they've said and what they've done and say that's even like remotely you are possible. Absolutely stoned. Yeah. If you think that that's happening, or you just know nothing about you know what the Orioles do or what the Orioles are as a, a franchise right now. They and and look, not- look, I'm I'm not hating on these people. These are a lot of guys I consider colleagues and friends that I, that I enjoy talking baseball with. But we have to be realistic here, all right. And when I say realistic, I think it's realistic to say, hey, you know what? Let's go out and add Kyle Seager. This year, I think it's realistic yeah. to say that if you're basically any other team in baseball, yeah. any other team in baseball, but this is the Orioles. And when you think about this being the Orioles, what's unrealistic is adding Kyle Seeger and Eduardo Escobar simply I, because you should know how this team operates by now and right. know that they're not going to do it. Right. I it's mean, it's not it, going to happen. And if they spend money anywhere, it's going to be on pitching. And it's going to be quantity over quality. I guarantee you it will be quantity over quality. They'll go with, you know, three guys at $2 million deals. And if you're, if you're setting your expecta- expectations to the thief of joy, they're the thief of joy, I guarantee you you're going to be disappointed. If you come out and you think the Orioles are going to sign Kyle Seeger, they're not, because, and you're going to be disappointed. I guarantee it. And if you think they're going to sign anyone to a $10, $15 million deal, it isn't going to happen. It's just not even in the cards. And not, not to mention the fact that Kyle Seeger 
is the type of guy, he's 35 years old. Yeah. He wants to cash in one more time. He's not at a point in his career. And he wants a ring. He's, yeah, and he wants a ring. Yeah. He's he's still a good defender who hits 30 homers a year. Mm-hmm. The average is, is suspect, but he yeah. gets on base, right? Sure, sure. Kyle Seager is not going to take a one-year, $7 million deal from no. the Baltimore Orioles. No. He's going to get three years, yeah. $45 million from a team that is a Kyle Seager away from taking the next step. Yeah. And I think because he's Kyle Seager, I think he gets more than that. I could see him getting like three for 50 even. I, I could see Kyle Seager really getting paid uh, this year because, you know, the third basements are a commodity. And they're, and they're you know, a guy like him who hits 30 home runs. And, you know, I'm sure Kyle Seager's all in that, you know, exit velocity, launch angle culture that we have in baseball right now. I think he's going to get paid. And believe me, the Orioles are not going to be the team to do he's it. He's not going to get – nobody's going to get paid. No. I mean, we're talking about maybe non-tendering guys who are going to, who are slated to make $4 million in exactly. arbitration this year. And, and If you think that the yeah. Orioles are going to non-tender a guy because he's going to make $4 million in arbitration, but then you also think that they're going to go out there and get Carlos freaking Correa, what are you smoking and where can I get it? Right. I mean, <laughs> look, if the Orioles had won 75 games – We'd be having a completely different conversation right now, and we had a different conversation. To be fair, in you know, in January of this year and 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 February of this year, when we thought the Orioles were going to take a, a massive step up from where they were in you know 2018, 2019, 2020. Guess what? The Orioles didn't. They lost 110 games, and they're a team that are not in the position to sign anyone, you know, for 10, 15 million dollars. And it's not going to be that way this year. It's just not going to be. No matter what Michael Elias says or does, it's not going to happen. And I, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, you're, again, expectations, they're the thief of joy. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, last offseason, when we were doing this show, we'd have guys like Dan Connolly and John Mioli mm-hmm. and Rich Dubrov, all the guys that cover the Orioles. They, they, they all came <laughs> yeah. on the show, yeah. and they all said the Orioles are going to lose 100-plus games this mm-hmm. year. And Zach and I were like, I don't see it. Yeah, I don't see it. And guess what freaking happened? They lost yeah. 110 games this year. So when now all the beat writers, all the guys that, and women that cover the Baltimore Orioles mm-hmm. tell us this isn't the year that they spend money, look to 2023 for them to take that next step right. in this rebuild, I'm going to listen to them because they've been right every step of the sure. way. I I started laughing, actually. I think Melanie Newman broke the news of Rico Garcia uh, being that free agent signing. I started laughing because I was like, you guys expect a Kyle Seager. The Orioles uh, signed Rico, Gar- you know, Rico Garcia. So it's like the, the expectations versus reality. It's just I started laughing when I saw that tweet. I'm serious because that's such an Orioles move to sign a guy like Rico Garcia because who knows? Rico Garcia was pretty good in 2019 in the minors. So they sign a guy like that. Expect to see a lot more of that. A lot yeah, more. Yeah, and, and, and look, the guys that they're signing, they have really electric arms. They throw really yeah. hard. Brian Baker, Rico Garcia, they throw really hard. And Rico Garcia is one of those guys who he was signed for minor league depth and somebody who could help mm-hmm. later on in the season when you need more arms. I'm sure we'll see him. I'm yeah, sure. uh, th- there's not a doubt in my mind unless yeah. he has a setback that we will see him. But these are low-cost guys. Yep. That Rico's not on the 40-man roster. Nope. It's a minor deal. People were up in arms like, you get rid of Hunter Harvey and then you get Rico Garcia. And it's like, <laughs> not the same thing at all. He's on a minor league deal. No. He's on a minor league deal. Um, Brian Baker, yeah, he's added to the 40-man. But he has an electric arm and a triple-A for, for Buffalo. He made his major league debut this year for Toronto. But for Buffalo at triple-A... He had a 1-3 ERA. Real good. The walks Real are four and a, I think it's like four and a half walks mm-hmm. per nine, but the strikeouts are there too. The, the, the arm is electric, and yeah. the Orioles are trying to add arms 
right. in the most cost-efficient way. Well, that's, a, uh, that's another way to say cheap, but yes, in the most yeah. cost-efficient way. Well, I think there's a difference between being efficient and cheap. I think, you know, you look at the, uh, the Oakland A's. They're efficient. They're not cheap. Um, I, I wouldn't really call them cheap. They're just efficient. And I think the Orioles can be efficient without being cheap as well. But they're probably going to be both, if we're, being, if we're being real. You know what's cheap for you? Uh-oh. And by cheap, I mean it's free. The latest edition of Press Box, and it's available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in, in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as a head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's Major League Baseball draft. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. So, Zach, we're talking about holes that the Orioles need to fill, right? Yep, they got a lot of them. Let's okay. uh, let's start at shortstop because okay. I think I, I know this team, and I firmly believe that Kelvin Gutierrez is in their plans for third base this year, and I fully believe that Ramon Arias. Who had, a, who had a positive defensive war at second base, is mm-hmm. their starting second baseman on opening day. So they need to fill a hole at shortstop. And I think they like Jorge Mateo, but I think they want to see Jorge Mateo play multiple positions. I don't think they want to hand him the everyday shortstop job because while he's very athletic and very fast and he was once a highly touted prospect, and he played well for the Orioles in his limited time, mm-hmm. I don't think they look at him as an everyday shortstop. Well, I look at I look at Mateo as the same way I look at Gutierrez. I don't think either of them are locks. Um, personally, I, I don't think the Orioles really have set plans for shortstop and third base. I do agree with you on Ramon Arias. I think he's definitely, hands down, the, the starting second baseman on opening day. But I think the Orioles will look at a variety of options for third base and shortstop. I, I See, I, I shortstop, yes. Third base, I think they liked enough what they saw from uh, Kelvin Gutierrez. I didn't like it. To, I'll be honest to, with you. Uh, to, well, I'm... We'll get to that statement in a second. Uh, Kelvin Gutierrez, I think that they look at him. I'm not saying they're handing him the job. I think that they're giving him the inside track, and he has to lose it. And I think that if the Orioles can have him play third base for another year before Gunnar Henderson inevitably takes over there or Kobe Mayo, uh, I think that that's what they're going to go with. Now, as far as you not liking what you saw from Kelvin Gutierrez, yeah, the dude didn't hit 320 with 15 home runs, but he hit 280. He played really good, the best defense of the year at third base, and he showed a little bit of pop at the end. Now, look, I, I don't think Kelvin Gutierrez is a world beater. I think his ceiling is probably a 250 hitter. But I think that he played better than you and some other people who are tuned into the Orioles are giving him credit for. Well, I look at the 660 OPS, and I just don't really get excited about that for me. I I, I see it. there's a, a big lack of power, obviously, and I, I think, if anything, he's kind of a slap hitter who's going to get a lot of singles for you. I am not on the Kelvin Gutierrez chain, uh, chain, train, if I can say the word. Um, I, I want to see a lot more out of this guy. I love the defense. I get it. You know, He's the best third baseman defensively they've had since Manny Machado. I get it. But I want to see a lot more out of him with the bat. And I just, I, I was not excited by what I saw by him, and I, I, I don't think that a 660 OPS is really going to cut it as a Look, starting player. Uh, I need to be very clear here that I am not on the Kelvin Gutierrez train. I'm not excited by what I saw from him. I, I need to be very clear about that. So he only hit, I mean, he only hit 248 in, in 47 games. 
for the Orioles. And his OPS was 663, on-base percentage 327. I'm, talking, I'm, bad, talking, I'm talking about the last month. Oh, the last month. Oh, okay. I'm okay, talking, gotcha, I'm talking gotcha. about the last month. Gotcha. Okay. And we're talking like 30 games. Oh, yeah. De- the last month was definitely a lot better. He, no, he, for he, sure. hit, he hit very well the last month while mm-hmm. playing really good defense. And I think that the Orioles aren't concerned as much as you are with his bat. I think they're more concerned with the defense and having good defensive players behind behind their young pitchers. And it's a it's going to be mostly young guys mm-hmm. that are coming from the farm system that are going to be in that Orioles rotation next year. Let's yeah. let's make no mistake about it. They'll sign somebody to a minor league deal. They might give a major league deal for $2 million sure. to a Matt Harvey type of pitcher. But that's going to be about it. They're going to depend on a lot of young arms. And I said it last year when they when they signed Yolmer Sanchez, you have to put good defense behind those young arms. Yeah. Which is why I see them going with Kelvin Gutierrez in the spring. Now he's going to have to hit some to be to be an option, right? He can't go out into spring training and hit 180 and expect to make this club. He's going to have to hit 250, 260 in spring training. But I think they're going to give him every opportunity. And that's what I mean when I say they're going to take a long look at him. They're going to give him every opportunity to prove that he can stick at the major league level. Now, at shortstop, I am 100% expecting Andrelton Simmons to be a Baltimore Oriole yep. next year. Yep. The, how bad he was offensively last year, but how great he still is, like all time, arguably the greatest feeling shortstop in the history of baseball. I expect him. He's going to command at most two to five million dollars, and I firmly expect that guy to be wearing an Orioles uniform on opening day next year. And it's going to you're going to have to convince me otherwise. No, I I agree with you. I think that Simmons has been a fit for a while now, and mm-hmm. I think it's finally going to come to fruition. I think Simmons is kind of exactly that type of player they're looking for, where it's not a a guy off the street where he's just kind of a bargain basement deal value kind of guy. But he's a guy who is a savvy veteran um, who may get you a lot of clutch hits and plays, like you said, excellent defense. So I I agree. I I think that Simmons, to me, is a perfect fit for this team. And at 2 to $5 million, like you said, I think that makes sense, too. I think the Orioles will will jump on that if they get the chance. But I also want to say that Simmons might be somewhat of a guy that... Teams start to chase after, after those biggest shortstops go off the board. Once Story, mm-hmm. Seager, Correa, they're gone. They might start looking at a guy like Simmons because of that defensive value. So maybe the Orioles end up getting outbid. I don't know. Yeah. Here's the thing. Last year, as much as I would have loved to have had them get Andrelton Simmons, he got $11 million Yeah, last year. Way too much. Way uh, too much. He was... I, I can't remember what his war was, but it was really bad not offensively. For, not it for was 11. it was like negative seventeen or something. Like it was something outrageously bad offensively. So his offensive war last year was negative point one, um, but he, his overall war is one point five because he you know is an incredible defender. But he hit two twenty three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Now, now here's here's my question for you. Okay. Why are you okay with Simmons to play shortstop hitting 223, but not Kelvin Gutierrez to play third base hitting 247? So Simmons is a veteran who I think is going to get you a lot of clutch base hits and a guy who can lead the clubhouse and be a, that veteran presence. I think there's just a big difference between a Kelvin Gutierrez who really has no... But I mean, that's a fair question for sure. They're probably going to hit around the same. Um, if not, Gutierrez be a bit better. But to me, that veteran presence and the leadership Simmons can bring and the, the variety of experiences he's had, I think brings a lot of value to a clubhouse now, like the Orioles. A guy like Andrelton Simmons, he was he got that big that, that $11 million deal mm-hmm. from the Twins. And he was... Uh, he was 
a, a solid hitter. Not a great hitter, but a solid hitter with the Angels. He wasn't a great hitter with the Braves. He goes to the Angels. The bat starts to come around, kind of like a like Omar Vizquel did in the second half of his yeah. career. Okay, uh, but and and the glove was still there. They're comparable players. They're yeah. definitely comparable. How much of his poor offensive showing last year? had to do with the pressure of being an everyday shortstop on a team that had very high expectations and fell flat on their face. I mean, I would assume it's it's a lot, right? I mean, you, you look at Simmons' numbers over the past years, and yeah, they weren't great, but they were a lot. I mean, he hit two, you know, obviously shortened season, of course, but he hit 297 in 2020. He's a guy who hit 264 in 2019, 292 in 2018. This is a guy that can get the base hits. It's just that he really fell flat on his face in 2021, and I think a lot of it has to do with playing on a bad team. Um, and that's, co- a, that's expected to be that's good. That's expected to be really good. And, of course, the Orioles could have the same effect on him. He could come out and play bad because the Orioles are playing bad. He plays down with the team he's playing with, I guess. But I don't know that I would that would deter me from making that signing. Uh, but it's definitely a little bit concerning from the Orioles considering they're probably going to lose 90 games. It could yeah. be concerning from that perspective. Maybe maybe more. Maybe, maybe more. more. God, I just hate that idea with, with Adley Rutschman being on the team. Yeah. I, I hate exposing a- him to that brand of baseball. But Mike Elias is smarter than I am. The guy went to freaking Yale, so th- there's a reason that, <laughs> yeah. that he's running the team, and I'm sitting here doing the bat around for press box here in Baltimore, which is a great establishment. I love being here. Don't take that the wrong way. But there's a reason I'm not running the Baltimore Orioles, sure. is, is my point there. Now, the Orioles do have to fill at least two roster spots with catchers. And you can't sit there and say, well, Adley Rutschman, because they're not going to add him to the 40-man until a new CBA is in place. They're just not going to do it. Um... Yeah, I, I agree. They're, they're not going to do that, and it, they have really no reason to do that because if things change, then obviously there there you know isn't a reason anymore to add them to that. Um, but I, I think that Rutschman is 100% in their plans by May, and I think 85% in their plans by opening day. I, I, I'm very, very confident that Adley Rutschman opens the season as the Orioles' starting catcher. But I, I, I also think there is... Reason to believe that they may sign a veteran guy that isn't necessarily a great player, but he's a guy that can fill a hole and play good defense. And I think that's what the Orioles need at the time. Um, I don't think Austin Wins is that guy. I know, actually, I, I'm going to back up on that. I know Austin Wins isn't that guy. Nick Chufo, I hope he's not that guy. Well, um, and they're free agents. And they're, they're free agents. And they could come back just, you know, similar to what Spencer Watkins did. But to me, I'm not very excited by the prospect of either of those guys being the, the catcher for the Orioles next year. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be. I think that they're going to go out and they're going to sign somebody, uh, maybe a Stephen Vogt, maybe a Jan Gomes, um, maybe a Robinson Chirinos or, or, a, or a Manny Pena, somebody who you can sign to handle the reins. And again, the whole new CBA is also going to be contingent, which is why I don't know that they're going to sign a catcher until after everything's figured out and they know what terms they're operating under. If if you can't, um, if there's no service time manipulation, if you don't benefit from keeping Adley Rutschman at the minor league level for a month, then then basically you're looking at having him be your opening day catcher and you only need to find a backup catcher. If you can still get in the extra year of service time, then you're looking at, okay, well, we need a guy who we can hand, hand the reins over to for a month or so until Rutschman gets, gets up here. So that's really what they're going to be operating under, uh, and it's all dependent on a new collective bargaining agreement. Now, speaking of the new collective bargaining agreement that's not in place yet, and we don't know when it will be, we have on the line joining us here on the bat around today from The Athletic. He's a senior writer covering biz- the business of baseball. He is Evan Drellich. Evan, how are you this morning? Doing all right. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for taking some time to come on. You've been very active writing about proposals and things that are going on between the two sides with this new CBA that's about with the old one about to expire. 
You wrote an article for The Athletic a couple of weeks ago on what a work stoppage could look like. And in that article, you referred to strikes and lockouts as weapons and that each side kind of uses them um, against the other side to get them to agree to their deal, basically as a threat. Um, Aside from one being by the owners and one being by the players, how are a a lockout and a strike different? Well, in professional sports, in the four major men's sports in the U.S., we haven't seen a strike since baseball strike in 1994-95. So it's all been lockouts, meaning owners have made the decision to halt work, to, to shut everything down. And that's very purposeful uh, because if, if you think back to 1994-95, players left not too long before the postseason – they were the ones taking the stand, essentially. It was kind of their dramatic narrative tool. Uh, and, you know, when you, when you walk out late in the baseball season, you're threatening the time of year when owners make the most money, which, which is the playoffs. So basically the feeling was coming out of that strike, owners were never going to, again, allow uh, a season to start without a deal in place. That if, if there was no deal in place, you were just going to have a lockout. You weren't going to let the players have the opportunity to go on strike again. And that's kind of what's playing out here. Mm-hmm. You know, if December 1st arrives and December 2nd arrives and there's no deal, very likely the owners will, will start a lockout that day. You know, they don't have to. They could, they could theoretically wait. They could keep bargaining, have a regular offseason, and then uh, even start a season without a new CBA. But if you do that, you're giving the players the chance to strike if they choose to, and owners are not going to do that again. Yeah, no, it, it, and honestly, from from reading what you've written in these articles, it seems like the owners have uh, quite a bit of leverage. Whether even if there is a a strike, because they can use replacement players if they lock out, and they can use replacement players if there's a strike. If I'm reading things correctly, so what leverage? Uh, now I, I get it. The the brand of baseball that would be on the field wouldn't be up to snuff as far as if you had the normal players being out there. But the the players, it would almost seem like they kind of have their backs against the wall here. Well, the the only power really either side has in these things is willingness to show up to work. Uh, you know, you, you can kind of sit there and go, well, all right, we'll trade you this element for that element. At the end of the day, it, it usually is the case that if, if you're going to achieve kind of a significant change uh, that you want to achieve, it's, it's usually done through, you need to change this or we're not doing this. And, and then sometimes you get tested on whether you're, you're willing to back that up or not. Um, so you know, the players, I, I don't know that they're necessarily in a, in a, uh, perilous position they uh the owners and players alike uh, lost some money in 2020 but the owners more uh, relatively speaking certainly a group of 30 billionaires has a very very deep well of money they can draw uh, it's not like the owners wouldn't be able to weather a work stoppage but their their willingness to do so might be a little less than uh it, it's been in the past because they lost money in, in 2020 um it, it's really a a question of of fortitude at the end of the day, you know, if a lockout happens, uh, can the players identify a, a, a set of elements that they're willing to stand on and say, we're not going to make a deal until we have X, Y, Z elements. And, um, you know, that's really the mystery of it. It's it, it, the question at this point seems less, whether we're, we're going to have a lockout and more, how long does it last? 
Now, a lockout isn't as cut and dry as it would seem to be. You quoted Kate Bronfenbrenner, the Director of Labor Education Research at Cornell's um, School of Industrial and Labor Relations, as saying it's dangerous turf for employers because of the possibility of a tainted lockout. What exactly is a tainted lockout, how, and how do you know that, uh, that it is a tainted lockout? Well, so it, it, excuse me. So there are uh, what's called unfair labor practices, uh, and, and there's the, in the United States, there's the National Labor Relations Board. Um, if if the owners were to violate and commit some unfair labor practices, uh, the, the players could go to the NLRB and say, hey, we think they've committed unfair labor practices. And then you could end up in a situation where you have a tainted lockout. What a tainted lockout does is it allows for a, a great opportunity for back pay. It basically says, this is an illegal uh, uh, lock. This is not a legal lockout. It's an improper lockout, and uh, you shouldn't have done it this way. And, and here's back pay for it. You know, one example of that would be if management didn't properly handle information requests. When when you have a management group and a, and a labor union, the management group has to be responsive to the union's uh, information requests within a certain set of requirements. I don't even off the top of my head know know everything about. Uh, those requirements, but mm-hmm. it, it's not the most likely thing. It, it is possible you end up in a tainted lockout, but you have to remember MLB is run by uh, someone who has been involved with baseball negotiations since the 1980s. Rob Manfred came in as outside counsel. He he knows his stuff here. Yeah. Dan Halem knows his stuff. The, 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 the guy who's leading the, the charge for MLB directly at the table right now is MLB COO Dan Halem. Um, you know, they, they have outside counsel as well. It, it, it's unlikely the league makes a silly mistake that puts them in the position of a tainted locker. It doesn't mean it's impossible. Uh, and, and by the way, unfair labor practices can go in both directions. You right. know, it, uh, it's not only the case that the Union could complain about the league. The league could also complain uh, about the union. Now, a, a lockout seems imminent. Everything we're seeing is, says that there's going to be one on December 2nd. And when that happens, the entire industry of baseball basically just freezes, right? So free agency comes to a standstill. There's no winter meetings. There's no Rule 5 draft. With that in mind, should we expect to see a bit of a feeding frenzy in free agency over the next two and a half to three weeks before this thing inevitably happens? There are different opinions on that. The one I've heard most is no, uh, that it's really going to be the smaller deals that get done prior to uh, the potential of a lockout, prior to December 2nd. I know that others have reported or suggested it could could go otherwise. I think Jeff Passan at ESPN uh, had some sense that there could be some of the larger deals that get done. It, it is a little speculative at this point. You, you, you just don't really know. You know, if there's, there's if there's a player who thinks their market's going to be better now, or just wants the certainty, you know, then maybe they're willing to sign. Or, or if there's a team that um, feels the same way, you know, it, it's a, it's a little case by case with it. But I think the general sense that I was getting was, yeah, most people are going to want to see how this goes because owners are probably not going to want to commit uh, until they see what the structure looks like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Although it doesn't seem likely that the structure will change that drastically. It, it would it would be hard to imagine, but um, you never know. Now, it, it, it's kind of crazy because we're about 
just about two and a half weeks away from this thing happening, and we're not really hearing too much. We know there's been proposals. We know the latest proposal from the Players Association happened at the end of October. Um, now It seems like the biggest issues here are financial, like the players wanting a bigger piece of the pie from what the league brings in, and better earlier compensation for um, players who are pre-arbitration eligible. What are some of the other issues that could be tough to resolve that could be a sticking point for this new CBA? Yeah, certainly the money is the largest thing. It's, mm-hmm. And it's always going to be the case, two self-interested parties, and you know they both want as much money as possible. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, the, 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 the function of the game, the look of the game, the aesthetics of the game, the, 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 the on-field rules will be part of the discussion. Uh, things like a pitch clock and you know, whatever MLB... Uh, looks at in, in it's what it's in what it's done in the minors, you know, experimenting with a bunch of rules this year. If there are things it wants to try to elevate or put in a plan to potentially elevate in the future, you know, th- those those can be part of the discussions. They don't have to be. Um, you know, MLB could. It has the power to implement changes on field like that, rule changes like that. If it waits a year, it gives notice, and then a year later it does it. But still, the preference is always to do it in conjunction with the players so that they have the player support and whatnot, you know, like the expanded postseason, for example, mm-hmm. that's not something that MLB could just implement. Um, it, it's a money piece because there's more money for, for both sides or, or certainly for the league. Uh, if they get the expanded postseason, um, because the TV networks will want to pay for those extra postseason games. And, and the players know that, that the league would get more money out of that. Uh, but there's also an aesthetic element to it that do you want to dilute your, your postseason pool? Do you want to have more teams in there? Do you want to have more like, you know, 83 win teams making the playoffs? Um, and the same thing a little bit with the DH, you know, there's an economic component, but there's also an aesthetic component. So, the, the, you know, the design of the game and the, and the function of the game is also at stake here, as well as the, just the straight money issues. And I'm glad that you mentioned things not being able to be implemented for another year that could come up in this new CBA. Uh, One of the ones that I saw, and it seems like there's going to be a change here. I've seen proposals from both sides about how the draft order is going to be decided. And one side saying, well, we don't want to have a team pick in the top top five of the draft more than two years in a row. The other side saying, well, we don't want to have a team picking the top five in the draft in consecutive years. So it seems like that's one of the things they might be close to being on the same page with. Um, And a lot of people in Baltimore are nervous that even though the Orioles, quote-unquote, earned the top pick in the draft in 2022, that they might not get it based on the verbiage in a new collective bargaining agreement. Is that something that, if if it comes to pass, will be uh, implemented immediately? Or is it one of those things that you were talking about where it would be another year before they do that? So, so the draft order is not one of those on-field rules that the, the commissioner's office could just uh, institute, um, you know, with a year of waiting, right? It's not like, uh, you know, like if banning the shift is an example of that, the, the draft is not. The draft is something um, that has to be collectively bargained. So MLB can't just uh, say, you know, we're going to do it this way um, a year later. Uh, it's a good question as to whether there would be any grandfathering um, with this. You know, the interesting thing about the draft order one is that both, it, uh, of all the issues I'm aware of thus far, it's actually the one where there's even any sort of hint that they're on the same page, mm-hmm. which is that both sides agree there has to be some sort of limit on being able to pick in the top five. Um, 
the players have have proposed more with that, including comp picks if you're a team that receives revenue sharing and you finish either above 500 or in the postseason. Um, the, the draft ties back to this competitiveness issue that if teams are, are, want to compete more, they'll spend more, and it's better for the game and all this is, is the player's stance. But you know the owners do seem to realize that it's not great to have a, a one team finishing in the bottom five three years in a row and being rewarded for it in some way. So it, it's not clear to me whether whether because we, we don't know a what they're going to settle on and b whether there would be any grandfathering in. To me, I don't think you would need to grandfather it in. Um, I, I think if you make that change, you, you, you make that change. But. Um, it's always possible. It's always possible that, that they could do that as well. Um, yeah, that it, I think you're going to see. If there's one area I can say confidently, you're going to see a change in mm-hmm. based on everything we've had that's happened so far. I do think it's that one. Evan, when we talk about these possible CBA negotiations as far as the MLB draft, we look at trading picks as something that has been talked about for really a long time um, as something that could potentially be beneficial, especially to a team such as the Orioles here in Baltimore, where, you know, they're in a rebuild. They could potentially get a lot of picks and start to add to that farm system through there. Is is draft pick trading something being considered at all? I haven't heard it. Um, Doesn't mean it it couldn't come up. I, I think if I'm remembering right, it's been a while since I've talked to anybody about that issue. Uh, if I remember right, and I'm going to reserve the possibility I'm remembering wrong, that part of the concern there is you'd, it's a big market, small market concern, that if you have the draft, draft picks tradable, you're going to see small market teams punting them constantly to big market teams. And, it, and you know, there's been a lot of effort in baseball, um, some would say you know, not so smartly, to kind of push things in the direction of the small market teams. You know, Bud Selig... Uh, certainly was interested in, in the interests of the small market clubs. Um, you know, big market teams historically have wanted more draft picks and used to have more ways to get them. Um, and, you know, you can make an argument that it's, it's, it, it's not the worst thing for teams that have resources to be able to spend those resources. You don't want it to get so out of whack that um, parity is, is screwed up and like you, you literally have a team that can just never win. Uh, I don't think the sport's in danger of that, but uh, that, that's, that's what I recall is, is the problem with that, is that you, you don't want to set up a system whereby um, you know, small market teams are just saying, well, all right, well, you, you know, just buy our draft pick. You know, uh, I think that's, that's the operating logic and you know, there is some logic to that. Yeah, no, and that makes perfect sense. Now, Evan, we know you're a busy man, so we're going to try to get you out of here pretty quickly here. Just a couple more questions for you. Uh, we had some a couple of prominent guests on the show last week, and they said that they thought that the fact that we're not hearing much, not much has been leaked about these negotiations, is a good thing. We know these things typically tend to come down to the wire as far as negotiations for new deals are concerned. Are you uh, uh, on that that side of the fence where you think it's a better thing that we're not hearing as much right now? I think the fact that they, they've both been, you know, we've, we've still been able to get some stories out, right? It, right. It's not like information is totally devoid of it. And um, the reality is that information doesn't always have to come from the principles involved, right? There, you know, there is a reporting process that goes on with this stuff. Um, I, I, I think you can sit there and go, well, it, you know, I guess it's honorable to perhaps want as quiet an environment as possible to, to have your bargaining sessions in. 
but quiet doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're having productive bargaining sessions, right? Or that you know they're 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 necessarily getting close. You know, you, I guess you could say something's productive even if they're um, not making proposals that that the other side wants. But I, so I don't look at the quiet and go, yeah, no, I, they're they're secretly getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think is the way to put it. You, you, I think it's like you know a fine, earnest attempt to to. Uh, be respectful to both sides and, and and things like that. Like you can you can see why they wanted to do it, uh, but to this point, you know they're they're very very far apart, proposing very different structures. Uh, I do expect, as you said, once you get down to the final few days before December first, you know post Thanksgiving, maybe even going into Thanksgiving, uh, you know the action will pick up, the proposals will pick up, and, and maybe they they start to look like they're on a similar page. Nobody seems to think that's going to bring them to a deal on December 1st. It doesn't mean they couldn't. It's it's certainly a, a possibility. Um, it just seems like a low possibility. Yeah, no, and Evan, you, you seem to be as tuned in with this whole thing as anybody out there right now. Um, we know that a lockout is probably imminent. Uh, do you see this I- impacting uh, the 2022 season? And we're hearing February. It, it might take up to February. Is that what, what you're feeling about this whole thing? My, my gut is that it does not impact the regular season, um, but it, it really is the the million multi 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 million dollar question: right. is how long does it go? You know, does this is this one week in December, or are we sitting there at the start of spring training in February, wondering if they're going to get a deal in time? You know, does spring training get shortened? The, the a lockout in December isn't great, but the reality is that there isn't as much pressure on either side as it would be later. You know, when, once you get to the start of spring training and, and then certainly the start of regular season, that's when money's on the line. And that's what motivates people. You know, if you start to see, well, I'm not going to get a paycheck. Uh, and then that would be the case for the owners and the players. If they're not playing, that's when they start to get really real. And, and so you can sit there and go, well, what's a lockdown in December going to do? You know, probably not as much, you know, it, right. it's like, the pressure point really doesn't arrive until spring training and the regular season start to get threatened. Um, so that, which that's kind of the argument for, well, why would it drag on? Well, why, why do they need a deal done on January 15th? You know, with, 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 for what? Um, it's better to have a, a normal off season or as close to a normal off season as possible. But, um, you know, until the paycheck's on the line, uh, they don't quite feel it as much. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. He is Evan Drellich. He is a senior writer for The Athletic, covering the business of baseball. You can follow him on Twitter, at Evan Drellich. Evan, is there anything that we can plug for you before we let you go here? I'm doing a a a once-a-week podcast over The Athletic, The Athletic Baseball Show, our main podcast feed uh, about labor. So uh, that's running on Wednesdays as of now. So uh, check that one out, too, if you get a minute. Absolutely. We'll make sure that people do that. Evan, thanks so much for taking a few minutes for us today. We certainly appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and happy Thanksgiving to you. You too. Thanks for having me. And that was Evan Drellich joining us to talk about the, the new CBA that's not in place yet and things that we can expect moving forward from this thing. A lot of great information there that uh, that otherwise we wouldn't be privy to. Um, so thanks so much to Evan for joining us. We're going to get our final break here. When we come back, we're going to close things out here on the Bataround. Give me one second, Paul. Actually, I, I did not have that pulled up. That's my mistake. But now we're going to get the break. Now, now we're going to get, get, get the break. <laughs> we'll be back here on the battle round. That first sip. <sighs> that first bite. 
Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Once again this season, PressBox's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show? Tune into Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined postgame by your favorite analysts like the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. PressBox's Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is coming soon to Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Maryland, this is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you change lanes and brake suddenly in front of my tractor trailer, I won't be able to stop. Our lives can change forever. Trucks need room to stop. Don't cut it close. Brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation State Highway Administration. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser Show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on PressBox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out PressBoxOnline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Tyus Bowser Show. PressBox and Great Eights Memorabilia bring you the next Tyus Bowser Show Tuesday, November 16th at Mothers in Timonium. It's also brought to you by Window Depot Baltimore, WindowDepotBaltimore.com, and by Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, Duffy'sGarageMD.com. Welcome back 
Welcome back to the batter round. I, I, I'm so used to unmuting Paul first that I forgot to unmute myself. So here we are, back in the batter round. The batter round is brought to you by Glenn Clark Radio. There's a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as the batter round's own Paul Valley took over as the show's co-captain. The show remains the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR this week. The guys caught up with Maryland and NFL legend Sean Merrill. Raymond, Ravens legend Adelius Thomas, and former Ravens defensive coordinator and NFL head coach Mike Nolan. Find those interviews and more today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week Interview feature at PressBoxOnline.com. And guys, don't forget to tune in to the Athletic Baseball Show, a show about Major League Baseball. Countdown to a lockout with Evan Drellich and Ken Rosenthal as they set the table for this winter's Major League Baseball Labor Talks. You can find that on The Athletic, and they record weekly uh, on Wednesdays. So stay tuned for that because it's going to have all the information leading up to the the CBA, which has been what this show has been based on today as we move towards what what seems to be an, an eminent lockout by the owners beginning December Second, really great show today. Special thanks out to Stan the Fan Charles for his weekly segment. John Mioli for coming on, talking a little bit of Orioles roster moves that uh, have happened and are yet to happen. And to Evan Drellich for talking to us about the current CBA expiration, the new one that we hope is in place sooner rather than later. Zach, before we go, Ravens have had two games since our last show. They fell behind quickly to the Vikings before posting another big. Um, two touchdown comeback in the second half. Lamar Jackson looking like Superman. And then they go Thursday, and nobody gets off the team bus against the Miami Dolphins. They go two for 14 on third downs. They make no adjustments um, to the blitzing and the cover zero packages that the Dolphins are running, and they get laughed out of the building, really. It was it was an ugly performance. We keep talking on Glenn's show about how the AFC is wide open. And do the Ravens have what it takes to win a Super Bowl? And and it's right to be mentioned that they could go out and win a Super Bowl this year because there's no team running away with things in the AFC, and every team is extremely flawed. I think that in the NFC, you have teams like the Cowboys, the Packers, the Cardinals, the Buccaneers, and the, um, and the LA Rams, in no particular order, who would lap the field in a Super Bowl. Do you look at this team and say... Super Bowl is a realistic expectation this year. No. Yeah, I just I, don't see how you can. I, I don't see this team as a Super Bowl team. But then again, I don't think a lot of people saw the 2012 team as a Super Bowl team. So, Well, but, know, but we did because they went to the AFC Championship game and should well, have won right, it but, the year before. They returned a lot of the same roster, but during the and reg- they started 9-2. and two. During the regular season, though, there were some big hiccups. I mean, they, they did not—yes, I mean, uh, they did start 9-2, and two, but they, they didn't finish— uh, you know, as strong as they started. So to me, anything can happen. It's any given Sunday in the NFL. Um, or but, Thursday. Uh, or Thursday. But I think that this team is just far too injured, and I don't think it's built well enough. You know, they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. I don't think there's a lot of depth to make this thing work at this point. I think this season's just kind of – it's going to end – they'll make the playoffs. I'm pretty confident in that. I think they'll make the playoffs, but it's going to end uh, pretty quickly for them in the playoffs. Well, you kind of feel like they needed to be 8-2 and two after yeah. the first 10 games, yeah. especially with the last three of that 10-game stretch coming against the Vikings, right. the Dolphins, and then the Bears. And then the Bears. Mm-hmm. Now you're not so sure that they can contend. They should be able to beat the Bears. But Justin Fields improves not just every week, 
But every quarter, mm-hmm. he seems to improve, and he's becoming a dangerous player. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get Allen Robinson more involved. David Montgomery's back to go along with Khalil Herbert. Uh, that defense can get going with Khalil Mack. They can get going at any time. Khalil Mack's going to be on Tyree Phillips. Yeah. It, that's it, not that's not exactly confidence-inspiring. The, the Ravens didn't go out at the trade deadline. It wasn't for lack of trying. We heard that Eric DaCosta was one of the most active GMs at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Just couldn't get anything to work. Uh, they tried to go get Xavier Howard, who... Uh, had that huge play, mm-hmm. forcing the fumble recovery and taking him for a touchdown against the Ravens on Thursday night. The Ravens didn't do, do anything to address their running game. They didn't do anything to address their depleted offensive line. Uh, and against another bad rush defense like the Minnesota Vikings, they were able to get the, get the job done. Right. They go up against a better defensive front in the Dolphins, and the run game is non-existent again. And Lamar Jackson's 39 yards still led the team in rushing. Look, as long as Lamar Jackson's on the field, you have a chance Mm -hmm. in every game. I just look at this seven-game stretch. If the Ravens Ravens win three of those seven games, I I think they have to win four. In my opinion, I think the Ravens are going to have to win four of those seven games to, to get into the playoffs. Agreed. Because it's a really tough stretch. You're talking two against the Dolph- yeah. two, Dolphins, two against the Browns, two against the Steelers, a game against the Rams, a game against the Packers, and another game against the Bengals. That's a tough freaking stretch. Really, really tough. Yeah. Really, really tough. I, I, I don't. I think the Ravens can make the playoffs. I don't have the same confidence that they will okay. that you do because that's such a brutal stretch to end your year. Yeah, it's it's really bad. But if you look at the AFC North, it's kind of bad for all of the teams in a mm-hmm. way. Uh, they all have tough schedules. Um, outside of the Bengals, the Bengals don't have too tough of a schedule because they lost a lot of games last year, and they, they get a little bit of an easier one. But I think that the Ravens are a winning culture. Actually, I, I don't want to say I think that. I know the Ravens that's are a winning true. culture. That's true. That's a great point. And John Harbaugh is an excellent, excellent coach, even though he got terribly outcoached by Brian Flores. And uh, he admitted as much. And he, he did. He did. He was horrible. I, I'm going to be – I love John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh is my favorite coach in the NFL of all time. But he was outcoached, plain and simple. Uh, Wink was outcoached, and Greg Roman was outcoached. All three of them at the same time. Um, and, you know, it, it's pretty simple to me what happened – with cover zero, they were blitzing, you know, sometimes eight guys, at, you know, at Lamar Jackson. There were two free rushers coming around the edge. Greg Roman refused to put another guy back there to block or even another two guys back there to block. You know, throw Patrick Ricard in the backfield more often. Throw Mark Andrews in the backfield more often just to get guys just to, you know, block for Lamar a little bit. And then you open up the entire middle of the field because there are eight guys coming at you at the line of scrimmage. So to me... A simple adjustment like that, and the Bills did it. The Bills did it because the Dolphins were blitzing with cover zero all game. The Bills were able to adjust to it and you know be able to uh, to attack them with the passing game over the middle. The Ravens weren't able to do that. That's Greg Roman's fault. That's John Harbaugh's fault. And unfortunately, it just it just didn't work out for them. But this has been a, you said it on Twitter. It, it, this has been what's coming for them. Yeah, it, it's a, a team with a great deal of luck. The luck ran ran out on Thursday. Is what exactly is, is what I said. Now. Uh, a couple of things. Um, they did. They ran one slant. Yeah, and and, 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 and it got it got them a first down. Yeah, right. Um, we're expecting Macari and Nick Boyle to be active soon mm-hmm. for this team. That'll help. Yeah. Um, well, I, th- actually, they, they ran two because Watkins fumbled in the other one. The one was oh, the, oh, Rashad right, right. Bateman made that really but nice it, catch but out. But it still, it would have been a first down it if, he had, first him, down, if yeah. he had him yeah. fumbled. So th- those plays work. They just didn't do them enough. Right. Rashad Bateman had eight targets, six catches for eighty yards. Mm-hmm. I love what Hollywood's doing this year. Mm-hmm. 
but it is very clear to me that Rashad Bateman is the best wide receiver on this team. Oh, by far. I need more targets for Rashad Bateman. Rashad Good. Bateman is a complete player. Complete yeah. player. His hands are unlike anything I can ever remember seeing. And, yeah. uh, the, the the fingertip catches that he makes, it's like the ball just sticks to his it, hands. It, he reminds me of a young Odell Beckham Jr. He yeah, really he, does. His his hands are phenomenal. Yeah. His route running is fantastic. I look at this guy, and I see he has eight targets, has six catches. Mm-hmm. And then Marquise Brown has 13 targets mm-hmm. and six catches. I need that flipped. I need that flipped. Yeah. I, I, need, I need Bateman getting a lot more targets because I think he's a different difference maker on offense. I, 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 keep, I keep seeing any time that Lamar Jackson gets beat, any time the Ravens get beat, mm-hmm. people come out and say, oh, they found the blueprint. No, you there's didn't. There's no blueprint, man. There's, there's, there's no blueprint. There's none. You found a way to beat Lamar that day, and then right. Lamar will figure out how to right. beat you the next time. That's why he's 36-10 and 10 in his NFL career. Right. Right. There's he, no blueprint. There's, there's no, no There's no blueprint. There's just a, you, you found a, a blueprint for that game. Right. And he'll make the adjustment, and then you're gonna have to find a whole new blueprint. There's no right. blueprint on stopping Lamar Jackson. If there was, right. he wouldn't be 36 and 10 and have the most rushing and passing yards through 45 games in in a career than any other player in the history of the league. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned the Bengals, and you said that they that they don't have as tough a schedule. The schedule's no cakewalk. Is it okay? They, they have the Raiders this sun uh, this Sunday. They should win that. They should, but the Raiders are playing well. Yeah. Then they have the Steelers. Then they have the Chargers. The 49ers, they should win. Yeah. The Broncos, they should win. But then they have the Ravens, Chiefs, and Browns to end the year. Uh, Chiefs aren't very good. I think they could beat the Chargers too. I I, I will never count the Chiefs out. Until True. they're out, okay. I'm not going to count them out. That's fair. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes, even if he is third in the NFL in interceptions. And I think they could beat the Steelers very easily. I I, I don't I don't. Well, really they already think... they already beat them once. Yeah, right. So but, I, I think but I think can... I think the Steelers are playing really well right now. They are. They are. I, I I'm personally as a Ravens fan, I'm not worried about those two games against the Steelers. I think they'll they'll do well. But the Steelers defense is good, and if they run cover zero and Greg Roman, uh, you know, forgets how to how to make an adjustment, then uh, that's not going to be very good for the Ravens. I'm. Worried about the Steelers game because it's the Steelers game, and, sure. and they still have a really good defense. Mm-hmm. And even though Ben Roethlisberger, it, his career is over, he's yeah. still Ben Roethlisberger, and Somehow. he finds ways to beat them. Yep. And Lamar yep. finds ways to turn the ball over against the Steelers. He does five turnovers against them last year, one return for a touchdown. If you yeah. take away any of those turnovers, the Ravens win that game. Mm-hmm. A- a- any one of those turnovers, they win. Mm. It's just. Lamar needs to play better against them. I don't think any of their games the rest of the year are going to be a cakewalk. And I think it's going to be a struggle for them to make the playoffs. But ultimately, I think that they should. We'll Agreed. Put it, we'll put it that Agreed. way. Guys, that's going to do it for us here on the Batteround. Thanks to mu- so much to all of our guests, all of our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in to us here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Home Insurance Studio. We will be ne- back next week talking more baseball with you here on the Batteround. Until then, see ya.